0: This is Kathy Rhodes, Sargentio, and you are listening to Diary of a Madman.
1: Welcome back to Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Ozzy Osbourne podcast where we discuss all things Ozzy and all things Ozzy related. I am Josh Crum and with me as always is Mr. Dan Drago. How's it going, Dan?
0: Doing good, man. How you doing?
1: I'm doing good, man, I'm excited about this topic today. You and I are both Randy Rhodes fanatics, so it's exciting to finally get to talk a little more Randy Rhodes on the show.
0: Absolutely. you know, we haven't talked a lot of Randy. My buddies have been telling me we've been talking a lot of osmosis on the show, but of course we are because we're diehard Aussie fans. but I'm super excited to really dive into Randy's career and talk about his impact. Not only on Ozzy, but on you and I, Josh.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we have talked a lot of osmosis. We we'll gladly admit that we love osmosis, but above all, we are Randy Rhodes fans more than anything. We haven't spoke a lot of Randy Rhodes purposely because it's kind of what everyone else talks about. So Dan and I try to use the angles that other people don't use in any discussion online. And I think so far it's been successful for us, but at the same time, it's also time to talk a little more Randy Rhodes. And I think this episode today is going to be a little bit different for most of the listeners than usual, because really, we have a topic that we're going to hit on later in the show, other than Randy, a more narrow topic. But typically, we're just going to have a conversation today. We just want to talk some Randy Rhodes, man.
0: I think that's a great point. We have purposely not really talked about Randy because let's be honest, Randy's my favorite guitar player. Randy's your favorite guitar player. We could talk Randy for days every episode, but we wanted to make it the time is right. And we are coming upon the 40th anniversary of Randy's passing. And we thought what an amazing time for you and I to really sit down and just talk about our love for Randy and what impact he's had on me as a player and as a person.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And the same for me. I mean, it's kind of like WWJD, right? But for Dan and I, it's WWRD. Like, what would Randy (laughs) do? And that really is the truth, because Randy was just such a beautiful soul and such a great person by all accounts. He was always the center of attention in any room he was in, and people just loved to be around him and loved to talk to him. And he always seemed to be the nice guy. And that's something that I definitely have tried to use in my life, and I definitely have used him for inspiration for Further Than the Guitar. There's no question about it.
0: Before we get into Randy, let's talk a little bit about last week's episode, Josh. We did the best ballads. It got a lot of love online. Obviously, Ozzy's ballads resonate with a lot of our listeners. Ozzy is the king of the ballad. We talk about it all the time. And I am just so excited and happy how much people have responded to our latest episode.
1: Yeah, no question. It did really good. Uh, Thank you to all the listeners out there for everyone that listened and responded with your list of favorite Ozzy ballads. It was one of our most listened to episodes yet, and that was really awesome to see. And we kind of expected it would be. We thought that this was going to be a topic that fans really wanted to hear. And, you know, it's so fun to take those songs and debate which one you prefer more. I mean, do you like See You on the Other Side or do you like Road to Nowhere and you kind of battle them back and forth to make your ultimate top 10? It's so hard to do, even though some people don't find it quite as cute as you and I do. We got some little tweets from Barbara Ann Wild, Zach's wife, kind of making fun of us and mocking us a touch for, for doing the cheesy, you know, which ballad do you prefer the most? And uh, it was all in good hearted humor. And we definitely appreciate her for even noticing our show and noticing, you know, our social medias and stuff. And commenting on it, we tried to get her favorite Aussie ballad out of her and she refused to answer it. She just kind of sent us the hugs and kisses emoji. <laughs>
0: so, right,
1: but it definitely draws a lot of attention. It's an attention getting topic, and, and I had a blast doing it.
0: Yeah, me too. The one thing that really stands out to me, well, there's two things that really stand out to me. The first is tonight, I did not see top anybody's list, but yours and mine. So that really surprised me. Number two, how much love later Ozzy got on the lists really made me excited, happy, and shocked. Later, Ozzy got a lot of love out there.
1: No question. Ordinary Man was like tops on several lists,
0: which really blew me away. Well, it just goes to show you that That record is going to be considered a classic record in a few years. I don't think people realize, I don't think Ozzy realized half of that record is going to be all-time classics. I'm so excited to see that the fans are starting to show that already, only two years after its release.
1: Yeah, no question, man. I mean, to be a classic album, the word classic in definition, it means it takes time, right? He can't release Ordinary Man, it'd be revered as a classic album immediately. But it's getting there really quick with a lot of the fan base. I definitely think it has more respect than a lot of his other later albums have. But you're right, man. The latter part of his catalog really got a lot of attention. And, you know, it was so fun reading everyone's list. I did see Tonight up there for two and three for a couple of them. Yeah,
0: but, but not number like one. You,
1: yeah, and like I said, Ordinary Man was all over it, as was um, Holy for Tonight." From the Warner yeah. Man. So that was awesome too. And you know, you and I debated if that was even really a ballad. As a no, matter of fact, is. I left it off my list because I didn't necessarily view it as a ballad, but clearly I'm wrong because everyone yeah. else did. The but, one uh, song that a
0: lot of listeners had on that we did not consider a ballad was I Just Want You. I did see that on a lot of lists as well. Yeah.
1: I mean, I know in theory, I just want you, you know, it's, I just don't see how that's really a ballad. But that's just me. And that's what's great about the art of music, right? Everyone that consumes it has their own opinions of what it means to them and how it touches them. And that's the beauty of it.
0: Yeah, I don't consider I Just Want You a Ballad either. To me, it's more of one of Ozzy's very Beatlesque influenced songs, like something like Strawberry Fields Forever and just, yeah. Definitely not a ballad. Much more of a artsy song, I'd yeah. say.
1: And I saw you can't kill rock and roll on a list or two. Obviously. Oh yeah, I don't consider that a ballad either. So well, but, you, you can't know, kill rock
0: and roll—that's what sold it for me. It says it right in the title. It's it's a rock and roll song.
1: So anyway, before we get into today's topic, man,
0: is there anything you want to discuss from the latest news of anything going on in the world of metal? Absolutely. The new Ghost record, Impera, came out this week, and I gotta tell you, I am fucking loving it. Have you heard it yet?
1: Oh, yeah. I listened uh, Friday morning after it came out. And I love it, man. You and Ryan are all about this shit. You know, and yeah, I mean, we're all golf. over it for sure. Hey, kudos to you guys. That's great. I love it, too. I've kind of been on a Judas Priest kick ever since I listened to your Judas Priest episode. Nice. Of, uh, if you haven't listened to that yet, Dan was on the Metal Gods podcast last week discussing some classic Judas Priest with those guys. And ever since then, I've been kind of a Judas Priest kick, which is always awesome. And they're going to be in my neck of the woods here in like a week or so. I'm going to go to the concert. And I've seen them once, like back in 04, but overdue to go see them again.
0: You definitely need to do that. I think I've seen them eight times. I missed them last week. They were here, but kind of bummed I didn't get to go. But I'm glad you're getting to go see them.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely excited about it. But yeah, The New Ghost has been awesome. I've listened to it through, I think, three times. I definitely enjoy
0: it. I'm probably in the teens. I've probably listened to it about 15 times since it's come out. And I can't get enough of it. I think there's so many things going for it. First of all, there's 12 tracks on it, but three of them are intros or just small, quick instrumentals. So there's really only nine songs to digest. And it's something that I'm always going to harp on, excluding my favorite artist, a la Ozzy. I think most bands should only release nine to 10 song albums, because it's just too much material. Tobias did a wonderful job of editing himself. Every single song on this record could be a hit. That's how catchy this record is. It's a great sequel and follow-up to prequel, which is kind of fun to say, but you could tell he caught a groove ever since he wrote Square Hammer, which is still my favorite ghost song, and he has just been on a roll. There's so much great tempos on this. There's great riffs. The guitar playing is absolutely insane. And I just cannot get enough of this record.
1: For one, preach brutta about the albums being too long for most of these bands anymore. I agree 100%. Aside from Ozzy, if I see an album's 40, 45 minutes, I'm tickled to death because that's just about where it should be. Nine, 10 songs, good to go. Yeah, you're right, though, man. Ghost caught fire with Square Hammer. And he definitely found his niche right there to really put out this mainstream, hot, hard rock songs. Because he's kind of followed that pattern ever since. But at the same time, like I was telling you the other day on the phone, none of the songs sound alike. Like he's very flavorful. They have so many different colors that these songs are all different. Like none of them really remind me of the others. Yeah. They're definitely tasteful music for sure.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. I would have to say that. I think that's what makes Ghost very accessible is you can have a song like Call Me Little Sunshine, which kind of sounds a little bit like classic Ghost, to something like Casarion or Spillways, just completely different songs. I would say if you guys have not heard Watcher in the Sky, it is a metal classic. I cannot get enough of it. It's my favorite song on the record. And the other one is Respite on the Spittlefields, which is an amazing record about Jack the Ripper but it's got so much emotion it's what I would consider like an Aussie epic. It goes in so many different directions and two clearly amazing tracks that will be on my top list of the year.
1: Spillways is one that caught me immediately also. I really like that one a whole lot. But it's like you said man, it's just it's all just so good. The production levels is through the roof. The guitars sound so good. I just think they got a thing going right now man that no one's close to at this point in new metal and I love it. I love what they're doing and I can't wait to go see him in concert again or to see what the next album has to bring because it's just it's like it keeps growing and building into this bigger and bigger thing kind of like it's supposed to do you know what I mean like anymore it's like this new artist comes up they have a few hits and after that they're just the rest of their career they're living off those old hits and whatever like Ghost keeps on building to the aura of what they're doing it just keeps growing and growing and it's exciting man
0: yeah no question and hats off to frederick Akison. he's the guitar player in opeth he also has played with tiamat when they were touring back for wild honey he is a great guitar player and he adds so much metal to this record and that's kind of what i wanted to talk about a little bit today which is why does ghost get shit on for not being a metal band because i complain a lot to you about how i feel like a lot of metal fans are very close-minded You know, you and I are not like that. A lot of our listeners are not like that. But if it's not death metal and it's not, you know, they don't consider it metal. Or if it's not Iron Maiden, it's not metal. But the beauty about metal, man, is it has so many different attributes to it. You can have bands that are completely different spectrums, but they're both considered metal. And to judge if something is metal is not to ask the metal fan. And this is something I'm always going to harp on. You ask the non-metal fan. And they'll tell you if it's metal or not. Does that make sense? Like, I'll play the riff of Watcher in the Sky to my wife, and she'd be like, oh, that's a metal song. Because she's not a metal fan. She knows what she would consider metal. And that's how you have to tell. If you're listening to Obituary and Death and Day aside all day, well, then, of course, Ghost isn't going to sound metal to you. But your genre and your direction of metal is very narrow. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely, man. It's all these subgenres they want to do in hard rock and metal. I don't know why, like post hardcore and hardcore and all this. It's like does country have that? Is country like this? Is bro country? This is post bro country. (laughs) Like only metal does that shit. Right. And they want to subcategorize everything so bad. And if you're into this one, you can't be into the other, or else you're a poser. Not to mention the fact that almost all metal fans, I'm not in that boat, and you're not. And I hope a lot more aren't than I realize but they eat the rich man like they hate when a band gets success oh big time. you know they fucking hate it you know and it's kind of why ozzy gets a lot of shit metallica, metallica and Ghost. now avenge sevenfold is a great example once a band gets a certain level of stardom like the fans want to turn on them because they want them to I mean like they always want them to be their little puppet that they it's theirs and the rest of the world don't know about it but then once yeah. the rest of the world starts finding out they can't enjoy it the way they used to
0: that is a fantastic point. And let me be clear, I love death metal. This is not a rip on other genres of metal. But all I'm saying is that that's not the only thing that characterizes what a metal song is. Yeah. I think it's wonderful that Tobias is bringing melody back to metal. And I think a lot of that is what's been missing. Why are you and I such big Aussie fans? Melody. Melody. And Tobias has it in spades. There's so much melody going on, not only in the vocals, but also in the instrumentation. And that's what really, for me, as I get older, is my favorite part of metal, is great melodies. And I'm just so glad that this record is just chock full of them.
1: That even speaks to today's topic with Randy Rhodes and the guitar solos, that they're so melodic in their self. I mean, there's like we said before, they're songs inside of a song. They're composition inside of a composition. The melodies of the music and the lyrics. But yeah, Ghost does it in spades, like you said. There's no question about it. I think the one thing that fans want to rip on not fans of the band, but fans of metal, is, you know, they have this scary look, but the music isn't scary. Well, Kiss had a scary look also. And then they would open up with Deuce every night. (laughs) Get up and get your grandma out of here, right? I mean, it's the same damn thing. But we all love Kiss. So it's like, you know, it's just they have a cool look. And it just is what it is. It's a cool look. Their stages are fucking the best thing since Diary of a Madman, right? And they're just fucking cool, man. They're a cool looking band. They have a good sound. They're not overly heavy, but they're still a heavy metal band. And it's like you said, if your wife hears that, it's a heavy metal band. The same way. I was listening. I was in the car today, and I had the satellite radio on. And we were listening to uh, my free trial still going on, by the way, for all the listeners. And we were listening to uh, Hair Nation. And I think it was playing Trickster, One in a Million. (laughs) And my little girl said, I hate hard rock music. (laughs) And I just thought, shit, really? Like Trickster, one in a million, you know. But that just goes to show you that to the general public, it's all hard rock, heavy metal. It it doesn't have to be so subcategorized.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. You know, I do got to state off the record. My buddy Casey texted me the other day, and his daughter, who's very young, was in the car with him. And Maybe I'm Amazed came on, and she said, oh my gosh, daddy, that is beautiful. And I just got to say, and I know I'm always on my Beatles kick, but for a young girl who's, you know, not even in school yet to realize how beautiful a piece of music is just goes to show you how fucking geniuses those guys are.
1: Yeah, no question.
0: So let me just throw in the small Aussie connection here to the Ghost record, which is the artwork is fucking amazing. I mean, Ghost has amazing artwork and and Imperium might be their best yet, but they have the Pope Emeritus on the cover And he's totally doing the Alistair Crowley pose in the picture. So I just had to throw that out there. You know, a little Mr. Crowley nod on the cover.
1: Or is it Mr. Crowley?
0: It's Mr. Uh, Crowley. Get the fuck (laughs) out of here. Crowley. My drummer and one of my best friends is Andy Crowley. If you're listening, buddy, he's a supporter of the show. So he pronounces it Crowley.
1: Speaking of supporters of the show, I want to bring up our man Dan Cushney, who's been a big-time listener from the start and very good to reach out to us on our social media accounts and discuss the shows with us and other topics. He was messaging me today about the new video for Youngblood, which featured Ozzy Osbourne in the video for the song The Funeral. And uh, he and I had a long conversation about it. And Dan, I know you've had time to soak this one up now. What would you think about it?
0: I actually don't mind the song. You know, I'm sure I'm going to get roasted for this as well, but I'd much rather listen to something like Youngblood with that pop punk vibe than all that rap out there. I just, you know, there's no melody in that. So it just does not appeal to me. I thought the song was good. The video was okay. I don't like when they try to make Ozzy a comedian too much in the public eye. It reminds me too much of the Osbournes. So that was a little bit annoying to me, but most importantly, he's out there, he's doing something and that's all that matters.
1: Yeah, the video did have kind of an Osborne Super Bowl commercial vibe to it, didn't it? Yeah, big time. But always excellent to see Ozzy in anything. You know, we've seen so little and heard so little from him for the past three or four months. So just visually seeing him on the screen meant so much. I mean, he did look a little frail. His posture looked awful. I didn't really care for the makeup. I thought it was a little bit overdone. But at the same time, it was fun and it was great to see him. I'm like you, man. I liked the song. I thought it was catchy as shit. And it really reminded me of an old school Billy Idol kind of feel to it on the verses. And I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, you told me that right out of the gate. You got to watch it before I did. And it does have a Billy Idol vibe, which was great. I loved it. I do have to say Ozzy's makeup job was pretty bad. And it made him look older. I hate to say that, but God, to me, he looked really, really old in this one.
1: Yeah. But, you know, the one thing about it is, I guess, as Ozzy diehards, now this is where we start dissecting things, right? And this is what Mr. Cushney and I were discussing before I got on the phone with Mr. Drago here. All these Dan's are fucking driving me mad. But anyway, what is the bigger picture of Ozzy being in this music video? He obviously isn't on the track, the funeral. We thought maybe he's going to be on the song. He's not on the song. Is Ozzy potentially on the album when it drops for Youngblood? Is Youngblood potentially on Ozzy's album when it drops? Or is it maybe nothing? Who knows? But it's like me and Dan Cushney was discussing in our conversation earlier. You don't just get Ozzy Osbourne on your music video on a whim. Like, that's a hard fucking get, man. Like, you might as well be asking for fucking, like, President fucking Biden to come down and do it or what the fuck ever, right? I mean, it's just so fucking, you just don't get Ozzy Osbourne that easy especially at a time in Ozzy's career and life where he's staying home a lot. He's not getting out in the public. He's not taking a lot of photos. He's staying away from everybody. How did Youngblood pull that off? Ozzy clearly likes him. And one point I wanted to pull up before I get your opinion on that, Dan, is Dan Cushney in our conversation commented that he lives, by the way, over in the U.K., so he's kind of more connected over there. And I think Youngblood is more of a U.K. artist right now. He's not as worldwide as Post Malone or anyone like that. And he said that Youngblood is kind of viewed in the U.K. like Ozzy was in the 80s. There's a real divisiveness on do you really agree with his lifestyle or you don't. A lot of people think he's reckless. He's out of control. Uh, a lot of he has a lot of mental health issues that he sings a whole lot about. And he said he believes that Ozzy sees a lot of his self in Youngblood, in the way he's portrayed in the media. And his image and his gimmick and so on and so forth. He thinks maybe that's why Ozzy has kind of connected with him a little bit. So I thought that was kind of interesting. What do you think?
0: I would say there's got to be a reason he's doing it, right? I definitely do not believe Ozzy sang on the Youngblood record because they would have led with the song he sang on. So that's definitely not happening. But does Youngblood make an appearance on the next Ozzy record? Possibly, you know, they can. I could see Sharon doing that to try to continue the streak of Ozzy blending in with the pop rock world, which she's done for a long time now. At the end of the day, I think it's just Sharon getting Ozzy's name out there before the, you know, like the calm before the storm. I think we're going to be getting a single or information very soon. And it's just another way for people to be going, oh, let's talk about Ozzy. And if you read a lot of the YouTube comments or Facebook comments and all the social media comments, a lot of people were just really excited Ozzy was in the video. And I think it's a brilliant marketing strategy for Sharon to say, hey, we're going to put Ozzy in this Youngblood video. And I don't know much about Youngblood, but I'm sure he's got a couple of million followers here. And it's just another way for them to go, hey, I love Ozzy. Oh, Ozzy's the best. Ozzy's the best. And now, bam, here's the new Ozzy song. You know? Yeah. So I, I think it's more of a marketing strategy.
1: Yeah, it just makes total sense. I don't think that Sharon necessarily used it for a marketing strategy, like is in the word used it. But I think, like you said, the timing plays out kind of interestingly, right, to where this comes out first. And then maybe in a week or a few weeks, Ozzy drops a single and, and the marketing continues from there, right? Like, I totally agree with that. Youngblood's very young. He's only like 24 years old. He's Youngblood, you know what I'm saying? You can't be 52 and be called Youngblood. You know, it's but, an odd
0: name because my dad you know, calls all of the young hot girls "Young Blood." What's up? Really? Right? Yes. <laughs> I was well, going to say. A, I, guess, yeah. I guess
1: you can't be 52 and be called Kid Rock, but what the fuck ever.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> but no, I mean he's very young, and I think that maybe Mr. Cushnie was onto something when he said that Ozzy might see himself in him a lot, and that's why he's kind of connected to him. We did notice that some of the photos that Ozzy tweeted. We're from Ozzy's account. We're of Youngblood at Ozzy's for the uh, release party for Ordinary Man at the, uh, the Rainbow, right? Yep. So there definitely is a connection that goes back further than just this past year. He's been around for at least a couple years. I'm definitely curious to see where this goes with this relationship and friendship. What does Youngblood bring to the table for Ozzy Osbourne?
0: Yeah, I'm excited for it too, and I'm hoping, listen, if Youngblood's on the new Ozzy record, I know you and I won't have a problem with that at all, but I think it's being used more as just a way to get Ozzy out in the public eye, like she yeah. kind of did with Take What You Want with Post Malone right before Ordinary Man.
1: Yeah, to be fair, I don't think Youngblood, I've not listened to a ton, of to a few tracks when I first heard that Ozzy was going to be on the music video. He's not really, he's definitely a pop act, but he's a rock act also. Yeah. Like. Like I said, that song's kind of Billy Idol sounding. So it's not like he's completely, he's not fucking Spice Girls or anything. He's got a rock side to him. So, you know, it it could definitely be fun. And one more point real quick before we move on. Our friend Dan Cushney in our conversation, he him had a long conversation about this earlier. Sorry, listeners. But, you know, keep throwing his name out there for him because I don't want to take credit for his comments, so I keep mentioning that he's the one that said this stuff because I don't want to act like it was all my
0: idea. Hey, listeners, if you want to just come talk to me as well only, that's fine too. You know, I I don't, I don't feel a little left out here.
1: Dan's so jealous because I'm the popular one on the show. I, no, I
0: we, we know who the real star is.
1: We know who the real star is because he goes over and does Judas Priest shows without me even fucking <laughs> knowing about it and then drops it on our gear. I'm like, oh, wait, you did it. Oh, cool. You did it. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll tune in and listen <laughs> to that. <laughs> but no, one thing that Dan Cushney mentioned to me in our conversation is that Youngblood's definitely bigger in the UK and he's very British. If you ever heard the guy speak, he's British as shit. And maybe that was filmed in the UK after Ozzy moved to the UK or if it was filmed before Ozzy moved, it was a matter of him flying to the UK to film the music video, which is definitely hard to picture that he would do that. But you never know if maybe they were over there looking at houses or something. I mean, who knows, man? But it more than likely filmed in the UK. So it appears that the move that we discussed on the show that Ozzy had upcoming, we thought might be the Vegas. It appears they have moved officially back to England. So, Dan, Ozzy, I think the most exciting news for you and I, and that was he said he was taking his studio with him and would have the band over to record.
0: I think that he definitely has already moved to the uh, UK. And I think he's just done it since he's there. I mean, I can't imagine that didn't take a couple of hours to film, right? It couldn't have taken a lot of his time.
1: He probably spent more time doing the
0: makeup than the actual filming. Agreed. Absolutely. They have their reasons. They moved to the UK because the taxes were a little out of control for them in California. I thought he was going to go to Vegas. I still think there's going to be a Vegas residency one day, but the thing that really caught me, Josh, is he said something to the effect of, I'm going to have a studio and I'm going to bring my guys out to record out there or something to that effect. So that's where I was like, oh, who's Mm -hmm. he talking about? I mean, it's obviously not the Andrew Watt click. So I wonder if he's going to start doing a whole nother record.
1: You know, I thought that was such an interesting comment. And that's why I brought it up a second ago. I mean, it's like you are sitting on a brand new record right now and you're already talking about recording another record the part that gets me excited is no doubt that Blasco and Zach and the guys would all fly to England in a heartbeat if Ozzy asked them to, to record and write. There's no question about that, but I love the idea of a band in a barn studio writing a new album together, you know, as the Ozzy Osbourne band, that'd be fucking awesome, right?
0: Yeah, it'd be amazing. But but, Yeah,
1: but on top of that, think about this. He's over there with Tony now also. Tony Iommi still lives in England. And Ozzy's made it very clear over the past few years that his relationship with Tony Iommi is better right now than it's ever been in their lives, ever. So he's close to Tony right now also, man. Who knows? There could be more coming from the Ozzy and Tony combination. That'd be something that we'd all be down for.
0: Well, that makes way more sense because I don't see Zach going over there to write. And I think Zach would do it, but we already know Ozzy kind of wants Zach to do the Black Label stuff. So who's the band he's talking about? Is it Black Sabbath? It's possible.
1: Yeah, he's over there, close to Tony, and you know, in my little mind, I just think, man, that'd be great if those two guys just collaborated together on whatever they want. You know, Geyser's still in the states, but at that point, they're just always, you know, a couple flights away from being there. So who knows what they could be working on out there? And I'm not trying to imply that Ozzy and Tony are working on anything together. I'm just saying, you know, when he mentions having the studio out there and having the band out, like we said earlier, I think they would all go mow Ozzy's grass if you ask them to. They, they said they all say that all the time. Adam White said it on our show. We've heard Zach say it, but. He's right there with Tony Iommi. It's hard to imagine that he and Tony wouldn't get together for a dinner here and there or something, you know, to catch up. And who knows where things go from there, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right. So that said, that brings us on to today's topic, which is Mister Randy Rhodes. Dan, I know I speak for both of us when I say that Randy Rhodes changed my life. I'm sure he changed your life, and. Yeah, I cannot believe we're already sitting on a 40th anniversary of his passing. It's just so unreal. I was only two years old when he passed, so I didn't know of Randy Rhodes yet. But it's so funny. When I got into my Randy fandom, it was around 1992, 93, and Randy had been gone for about 10 years. And in my world, that was a lifetime, right? Like he'd been gone forever. And Tribute comes out five years after he passes. And it's like, whoa, they waited a whole five years. You look back now, that was nothing, right? It's a blink of an eye. Like 10 years, five years, nothing. And it's hard to believe now we're looking at 40 years, man. You were actually a Randy Rhodes fan when he passed, and you were already familiar with Randy. Do you care to tell us a little bit what it was like for you as a Randy fan and an Aussie fan when that happened?
0: Absolutely. So I got into Aussie right about 1981, right after Diary came out. So, late 81, I was still pretty young, but, you know, like we've talked about, I had an older brother that was really into hard rock, heavy metal, and was bringing home all these great records, and I just really, for some reason, just really gravitated towards Blizzard and and Diary. And that was, of course, Ozzy, but it was also a huge part of Randy Rhodes. I was not playing guitar yet, but I was just obsessed with his guitar playing. I mean, I had never heard anything like Revelation Mother Earth or Diary of a Madman or any of these long, epic compositions, and his guitar Souls were mind-blowing. So my brother got to see him live here in Phoenix. I think it was January 1st, 1982, January 2nd, 1982, something like that. And even though I didn't get to see him, I kind of lived that experience through my brother because even my brother was like, oh my God, Randy Rhodes is a god live. He, this kid is amazing. You know, not kid, but at the time, even my brother could tell and the audience could tell Randy was just something special. So I was already big into Ozzy, and I remember that night, like it was yesterday, I'd gotten home from somewhere. I don't know if I was out playing basketball, or I just remember coming home, and my dad had told me, hey, Danny, I just heard on the news that singer you love just died in a plane crash. And he originally told me Ozzy had died in the plane crash. And I was like, what? And then You didn't have internet back then, so I couldn't really find any information. So I was glued to the news, and then finally word came out that it was Randy that passed. And I was devastated, man, because I just knew Randy had so much to offer, and he was just 25 years old. I mean, even though I was a young kid, he was still a young icon to me as a young maturing kid that was about ready to be a teenager. And it was just such a huge loss. And the way he died was just so tragic, man. And I just remember it like yesterday and I followed along to as many news stories as I could, but definitely heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, man. And I, you know, growing up, I remember watching the movie La Bamba, you know, the story of Richie Valens, and he passed away in the plane crash. And he always had a fear of flying. And Randy had a fear of flying. So, you know, we're kind of starting at the end and working backwards, I suppose. We didn't really intend to do this. But and uh, just so weird that he would go out that way. And then, of course, Steve Ray Vaughn went out in a plane crash and Leonard Skinner. It was so common back then. But at the same time, so tragic because it's one of the craziest things that could ever happen. You know, statistically, the odds of dying in a car crash are way higher, right? I never knew Randy as anything but a shining light who had passed away too soon. He was already gone for 10 years, like I said, when I got into my fandom. But the same as you, man, when I started listening to Ozzy Osbourne, you know, I'd mentioned on the show several times I'd heard Iron Man and then Crazy Train and NIB. Those were kind of the three that I knew early on crazy train changed my life that's why even though i do understand the burnout factory it will forever be the number one song in my heart because it changed my life forever i wouldn't be doing a podcast right now completely changed everything when i heard that guitar riff in crazy train man and i just was just bewildered that someone could play that thing you know, it's like how the fuck is he playing that lick realistically it's very simple to play once you start playing guitar right. but it's not easy to write and it was just so fucking cool, man. And nothing had ever sounded like that to me. And all I knew was that this guy was taken way too soon. And I went back and started buying all the old albums. And I started with Tribute. And I remember I, I seen that I had Iron Man on it. And it had, I knew Children of the Grave I had heard that one before. And it had Crazy Train. So I was like, okay, I'll buy this one. And I went home and put it on. And I cleaned my room listening to it. And I was kind of like, I just remember kind of being like, fuck, man. Like, that was really good. Like, it caught me instantly, like, how good the whole damn thing was. I was disappointed that it was live. I didn't realize it was live when I bought it. And I remember when I got home and the crowd noise started, and I was kind of like, ah, fuck. It's live, you know, like, ugh. And I played it again. And was continuing to clean my room. My room was messy as shit. So (laughs) it took me a while to clean my room, you know. And, uh, dude, that CD stayed in my CD player for fucking ever. Like, I truly can't put, and I don't want to be one of those people that says shit. That's like all oh, unrealistic. No, like it stayed in my player for fucking ever, and I had to buy another CD at one point because the rotations of the CD around the CD spent thing almost like a record. It wore the CD, which is a really wow. hard thing to do. I, yeah. I got, I still have it. I could actually snap a picture and show people. Like it's, it's, just, it was so worn, but I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. So I started with tribute. And then I worked back to the studio albums. But kind of like you said, when I think about Ozzy Osbourne, there's three phases, really four, but I'm, I'm going to say three. You have your Black Sabbath, you have Blizzard of Oz, then you have Solo, everything else. You know, In a way, you could say the No More Tears era with Zach and Renny Castillo. That kind of was definitely a phase that was solid as far as a group goes, right? But the Blizzard of Oz was definitely his own thing. And when Dan and I even discuss things sometimes like between us, we're like, OK, if we're doing top Aussie, whatever, da, 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 top Aussie drummers of all time. OK, that's, that's a great example. So if Dan and I are discussing top Aussie drummers of all time, we already know you leave Lee Kerslake out. It's like leaving out Bill Ward because he's above being in the list. And it's not that he's a better drummer than say Tommy Aldridge or anything. It's not that it's just that those albums are so untouchable that like nothing compares to those records. They're just their own thing. And they will forever be that. As a matter of fact, with time, instead of getting old, they're getting more and more classic and more and more prestigious time wears on. I mean, there's just, there's no bad tracks on either album. And then continuing to work backwards after I got to know Blizzard and Diary and finally got, you know, very familiar with those tracks. So then I lucked out with my timing that Kevin Dubrow had released you know, it was about to release. He hadn't yet. I had just got into Randy and Kevin Dubrow announced the quiet riot was going to release the Randy Rhodes years compilation CD from his albums of quiet riot that were a Japan only release. Right. So I was so pumped for that. You, I'm sure Dan, you remember this, all the guitar magazines had Randy on the cover. Everyone was pumped for the Quiet Riot Randy Rhodes record finally, right? Yep, yeah, absolutely. And they had the tablatures for laughing gas in it for the new guitar solo and everything. I was so excited for that, and I love that record. I know for a lot of Randy Rhodes fans, the Quiet Riot stuff is hit and miss, or some of them just don't like it at all, and that's fine. There's it's totally different. You you can love the Aussie stuff and just not be into the Quiet Riot stuff. It's okay. But I love that record, too. And a lot of that had to do, I guess, with the timing being so young and that coming out that finally a new Randy release for me. So then I worked backwards through all the quiet rice. If I had the Randy Rhodes years, then I found one and two finally on the bootleg circuit, because that's the only place you could get them. They weren't for sale to the general public. And I got familiar with those songs. But yeah, man, Randy Rhodes just done so much for me in my life. I mean, I'm excited to be on here talking about him today because uh, truly this is a more personal episode than what we typically try to do.
0: Yeah, no question. And I want to jump back on the tribute thing. So, obviously, I was already way into Ozzy by that point, and he was already my favorite artist. And I remember, you know, when tribute was going to be released and super excited. I bought the original vinyl. And I'd have to say that was my gateway to being a guitar player. I had the Hal Leonard tablature book, and I literally lived in my bedroom to learn every single note that Randy Rhodes played. And the weird thing is, I have never felt like that about another guitar player. I love to play Sabbath, and I love to play with Iommi stuff, but it's just different with Randy. I wanted to learn every technique, every scale he was using, every little riff and rhythm. He's just such a diverse player that it really just transformed my life. Like. Hours and hours I sat in my room where I basically just tried to learn Tribute front to back. And it was Tribute. It was not Diary and Blizzard. I went back and played along with those as well. But really, it was the Tribute record that really inspired me from a guitar playing standpoint.
1: Yeah, no question, man. And I got to say, we joke all the time that we share a brain. Same story for me, dude. If you could ask my mom and dad, my brother, they would tell you I sat on my fucking bed, Indian style, with that guitar in my hands, a little Epiphone SG, the G400. And studied that fucking book like I was going to college, man. And just the same, the Randy Rose tribute tablature book, Hal Leonard, and tried to learn every. I mean, I I did learn every track to some extent. (laughs) I can't play the songs the way Randy could, of course, you know. Yeah, of course not. It was just fucking mesmerizing, man. And that was my intro to guitar. Also, like I would bang on one and fuck around, but I could never really play. And once I learned that crazy train riff, you know, that was the main thing I got it for. I wanted to learn the crazy train riff. And I I taught myself that, you know, reading the book, of course, and uh, it never ended. I had to learn all those things. And then, like you said, I later found the other Hal Leonard book, which is just the Ozzy Osbourne songbook. I think I want to say it's called something like that, but it had the Diary of a Madman tracks in it. You can learn those also. And a couple of, uh, tracks from Blizzard of Oz. But yeah, I was the exact same story, man. And I would venture to guess that a lot of our listeners have the same story also with, you know, starting guitar by sitting down with the tribute album and that tablature book and just trying to learn every lick on it, man. And the thing about Randy Rhodes that I've always found so interesting and there's very few players like this. I'm going to put Stevie Ray Vaughan in there. They never play the song the same way twice, right? Like Randy never played the song the same way twice. You can listen to ten bootlegs, and there's different feels in every fucking one of them for the same song. And I always loved his little feels. And if you, if you are not a guitar player and you don't know what a feel is, a feel is like a great example is I don't know. So you know, typically he says dun, Then da 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 And he would change it every time, right? That's the easy one to reference for any listener that would know what we're talking about. That's the feel. And they're typically improvised, at least for Randy Rhodes, because he was just always doing different ones, man. And just always experimenting with different ways of playing those songs. And they were so good on Tribute that they've become staples in Ozzy's live show to this day with every guitar player he's got. They all do a lot of Randy's feels on those songs live to this day when they play them.
0: That's a great point. I mean, listen to songs like Even Little Dolls, which doesn't get a lot of love. Not talked about a lot, but he plays that riff, you know, dun 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 And every time he plays it, he plays a different little fill that just adds so much spice to that song. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah, just every time it's a little bit different. It's yeah. so goddamn cool.
1: And that's what's cool, because he would triple track his guitars. It's well-known. You know, we'll throw some of this out there for some listeners, but Randy would triple track his guitars. He would play them through three times. But each time, he would play it identically the same, except for different fills and shit. So... It goes back to what I said about never playing things the same way twice.
0: Right. Absolutely. Live, he tried his best to stay as close to the solos as possible, which I always appreciate. Every once in a while, he would add a little nuance here, a little nuance there to change it up just a little bit. But that was just Randy. He would change it up night after night like you yeah. had mentioned. You know.
1: Yeah, he, he used the feels just in random moments more than in solos. The solos, like you said, they were pretty spot on from what he recorded in the studio. But the feels were just moments here and there to, to add a little something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. And, you know, he is really the king of the fill. I mean, it's all over Crazy Train, of course. You know, Mr. Crowley's got some great little licks here and there coming out of I Don't Know, where he goes back into the rhythm and he goes into that really blazing little lead after it. You know, he does it all the time in Suicide Solution. So Randy is definitely the king of the fill and it's kind of a loss to art. I think Eddie did it a lot too, which I think I could see the comparison between Van Halen and Randy Rhodes because they both did a lot of those fills. They never really played like Tony, which is probably more my style, which is here's the riff. I'm going to play the riff till it's fucking beaten into your skull.
1: Yeah, but Randy
0: that's my style also. Yeah, but Randy <laughs> yeah. and Eddie, they're a little different. They're going to play that riff and they're going to throw all these little nuances and these little fills in between like little licks.
1: Yeah, it's almost like they're bored and they have to find a way to entertain themselves. Not that they're bored of playing, but just because it's so easy for them. Like it's just a little way to, like I said, to entertain themselves while they're playing the league.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, they they want to challenge themselves, and we know Randy in particular, always was up for a challenge.
1: Yeah. Speaking of that, I mean, just think about at the, I know we're kind of jumping all over the place, but the scene in L.A. at the time, you have Randy Rhodes, you have Eddie Van Halen and George Lynch all on the same circuit, man, as just local guitar gods. Like how fucking crazy is that in hindsight that those guys were on the scene together unsigned? It's fucking nuts.
0: Yeah, and I've read articles with George Lynch saying he used to have to practice like 10 hours a day to keep those type of chops up. Because that's how competitive it was at that time with those guys.
1: Yeah. And they all wanted to be the best. And Randy had a definite respect for Eddie Van Halen, but... Randy's brother, Kelly, who we've had on the show, Kelly Rhodes, we appreciate him being a part of the show. He told me directly to my face that Randy's favorite was George Lynch. Right. He thought of the three, including himself, he thought George was the best player on the scene. And Randy was just too humble to pick himself. You know, I think that we all know that already.
0: Yeah, no question. Let's be honest. We're never going to run into a group of guitar players that we did in the late 70s that were really beginning that scene. You can never replicate Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rose, and George Lynch ever again. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about those three guys. You could go out to any of those clubs in LA on a given night and see three of the best guitar players to ever walk the face of the earth.
1: And let's be clear those guys didn't like move to town for the scene, they grew up there. Like, those were LA guys from the area. Like, Eddie moved over when he was like, what? Seven years old, eight years old, because his parents were from another country, right? But he still was raised in LA. I mean, they all three were local guys too. It's just fucking nuts. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, the thing that really moves me about Randy, and I know we're jumping all over the place, but like we've talked about, this is just going to be a conversation. And what really sticks with me, and I was talking about earlier about when I was talking to my football coaches, the fact that Randy Rhodes was the most hot guitar player on the scene. He just won Guitar World's Best New Guitar Player of 1981. And something that just always resonated with me as a young kid was the fact that he would still take guitar lessons in every town they stopped in for tour. You know, all these guys would go out partying and drinking and doing what they do, and Randy was looking up guitar players to take a guitar lesson at every town. And to me, what that really spoke to me as a child and as an adult and instilled in me is never settle that you think you're the best at whatever you do, never think you can't get better at anything. Can you imagine the guitar players getting a call from Randy Rhodes going, hey, I want to take a lesson from you? And they had to be thinking, well, it's fucking Randy Rhodes. He's 10 times a guitar player than I am. But every guitar player is a little different. So Randy might pick up just this one little thing that he could add to his repertoire that was worth it for him to do that. And I fucking love that about him, that he always was trying to get better. I mean, mind-blowing to me.
1: Absolutely, and you know, the one thing that Randy always stated in a lot of interviews was that he learned more from his students He's like, I always, he always said, I learned more from them than they did from me. Because, you know, for those that don't realize, Randy had like upwards of 60 guitar students when he left to join Ozzy's band. He was the hottest guitar teacher in California at a time when guitar teachers were a hot commodity. I mean, it's a very popular thing at that point. And he always said, you know, i learned more from the students than they did from me. And the stories are well known. And, you know, it has to be true that eight times out of 10 or better. When Randy went to these guitar lessons, he was way better than the guy teaching them and, and knew more than they did. And that Randy ended up teaching that guy. <laughs> you know, and to give him the lesson to that dude instead of the other way around. But ultimately, he just wanted, like Dan said, to take this or that from everybody. Everyone's a different player. And if I can learn this little thing from this guy and this little thing from this guy and incorporate it, that's all the more that he has in his repertoire that he could just pull out of for his bag of tricks. You know, but Randy was just so fucking special like that. Man, that's a good call, Dan.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it has impacted me in everything I do. I mean, we talk about this a lot, me, my buddy Paul. But what it's really instilled in me is no matter what I do, if it's playing music, if it's doing a podcast, if it's coaching football, if it's being a husband or a father or whatever it is, I'm always striving to be the best I can be. Listen, I'm not going to make it as a rock star. I, it, the time has passed. I've written hundreds of songs in my life. It just didn't happen for me it's heartbreaking. It really bums me out and I struggle with it at times. I'm not going to lie. But even when I still play music and I still write songs and I get together with my bandmates or I'm doing my own solo project, I put everything I have into it, regardless if I've made it as a professional or not. When you and I are doing this podcast, we put everything we can into it because we know it's the personality that Randy has taught us and I'm sure our parents have taught us, which is if we're going to do something, I'm going to give it my all. I'm not going to settle for shit. I can always get better. I could practice. I could do more research, coaching football. I'm always watching videos. I'm looking at other coaches. I'm looking at different schemes. And I always teach my kids this. Just because you're the best player out here doesn't mean you don't have to work. It means you have to work the hardest because people know you're the best. And the expectation is, is every time you leave this football field, you have to get better. And that is just amazing to me.
1: Yeah. How much does that sound like Randy Rose listeners? I mean, you know what I'm saying? You have to work harder because you are the best out here. I mean, that could come straight from Randy Rose's mouth. You know, he knew that there was a pressure and a weight on him. And, you know, winning the Best New Talent Award was only a snippet of what was to come for him musically, even though his life would be sadly gone few months later, because there's been a lifetime of inspiration that came from that short time he had with Ozzy Osbourne. And uh, like you said, Randy never was willing to settle for being an OK guitar player. He was never willing to settle for being an OK musician or being an OK songwriter. Like you, like you said, he was always pushing for more. And it's just it's hard to instill that in someone if they don't have it. It's just something he was born with, you know, by all counts, probably came from his mother. Who he was so close with, right? And she was that way. She was an excellent music teacher, and she yeah. really built that music school, Missonia, from from the ground up, and kept it going all those years. and And kudos to Kelly Rhodes for keeping it going now. And it's uh, just something that was instilled in him to work hard his whole life. You know, Randy wasn't born with a silver spoon by any means, and he worked hard to be the best at what he did. And you know, in our eyes, he's pulled it off.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. He had to work for everything that he earned. You know, so let's talk a little bit about Quiet Riot before we get into how he joined Ozzy and everything. And i want to start with quiet riot before we get into ozzy because as a lot of listeners know we're going to discuss a little bit about some of the pieces he wrote for quiet riot that he moved into the ozzy world which we all would do and we'll get into that in a little bit but so josh you know the quiet riot stuff a lot better than i do i'm you know gonna admit that freely you know but he started that band pretty young what was he like 16 17 when he formed quiet Riot with kelly
1: yeah yeah he and kelly garney had a few bands earlier on together they Joined a few here and there on the local scene, play with some other guys and stuff. But, of course, it wasn't until Kelly Garney, Randy Rhodes, Drew Forsyth, and they came across an up-and-coming singer named Kevin Dubrow, who was kind of like a Rod Stewart or a Steve Marriott type. And, you know, they worked so hard to work the scene. And, you know, when you go back in the history of rock and roll, there was very few bands that worked as hard as Quiet Riot did to build the fan base to try to get a, a record deal in the United States. And they worked really hard together, man. And they were a team. There's no question about it.
0: Absolutely. There's no question that they were a team and, you know, they wrote a lot of great songs together. I'm not a huge Quiet Riot fan with the Randy era. I'm not going to lie. I think actually, Mental Health and On, they got a little bit better, which I know is sacrilege, but I think that Kevin grew as a writer as the years went on from a vocal yeah. standpoint. Yeah, it's, it's not
1: a knock on anything. It's mostly Kevin, his ability to grow as a musician and as a songwriter and as a singer. I mean, when he released the Randy Rhodes years in 1993, he did go back and recut those vocals. So those are all new vocals in 93, and that's part of why the album sounds so great. I mean, right. he went back and re-sang everything, and he even rewrote some of the lyrics because he became become a better songwriter. Like you said a second ago, they were 16, 17 years old. They were complete yeah. kids, man. Just imagine when we were that age jamming in our bedrooms with our buddies. I mean, right? these guys are already signed to a, a Sony album deal in Japan. They wanted so bad to get an album deal in the United States. But at the same time, you're 17, 18 years old and you're already signed in Japan. I mean, it's still a fucking massive accomplishment, right? Of course. It's a fucking huge deal. You know, as much as Randy was in the growing stages that we saw once Randy went from Quiet Riot to Ozzy, the growth, right? I mean, look, I do love the Quiet Riot shit. I do love it. I can sing all those songs to you. It's nowhere near the Ozzy material. And everyone knows that. I mean, Dolores Rhodes knows that. Randy knew that. Everyone knows that. It's not a secret. And it's not... Sacrilege to say that I mean it just is What it is But the same growth Happened for Kevin Dubrow Like you said From that era To Metal Health There's nothing wrong With saying you prefer The Metal Health era Of Quiet Right Because Metal Health Is one of the greatest Hard Rock albums Ever released
0: And one of the biggest Ever
1: released So I mean there's Nothing wrong with that you definitely can go back to those old albums with Randy Rhodes and Kevin, though, and Drew Forsyth and Kelly Garn, and definitely hear the development of what was coming with those two. And one thing I always found so interesting, and kudos to Kevin Dubrow for being willing to do this as a front man, they knew that this real shining star in the group was Randy Rhodes. And how many groups, especially in that era, have a frontman who's willing to step aside and say, featuring Randy Rhodes on the guitar? Like, even though as a frontman, Kevin would was going to be one of the most famous frontmen in hard rock history. I mean, no question about that, right? Yep. But yet, he was willing to take side stage to Randy, knowing that this is his show. You could see it from the start. And I remember Kevin saying that when he first saw Randy Rhodes, He knew instantly, like, man, like this guy, like, what the fuck have I walked into? Like, he's fucking amazing. He knew instantly what Randy had. And I think throughout Randy's life and he, after his death, I mean, he didn't have a bigger fan in the world than Kevin Dubrow.
0: Yeah, there is no question about that. I think that is brilliant to say. He was just a huge Randy fan, and he pushed Randy. You know, he was so happy when Randy got the Ozzy gig, and I think that just speaks so much character of, of Kevin, because he knew that Randy was destined for greatness, and Randy was destined for greatness, because he was great, and yeah. You know, he saw it real early, and I love the fact that Kevin continued on and created his own path. I mean, I don't think he's given enough credit for that, to be perfectly honest, because everybody knew that Randy was the star. And when Randy left, you had to know that band was like, we're fucked. You know, it's it's just the reality. Yeah. But the fact that yeah. Kevin Dubrow went on and did his Dubrow record, brought... You know him and frankie banali met and they started to work on the mental health stuff and brought rudy back into the band and the fact that they created such a monster record a record that i think has outsold ozzy best record which is yeah. saying something and i just hats off to kevin for not giving up either yeah. what fortitude he showed
1: yeah i agree totally man it speaks so much about what kind of a person kevin was and how much he really did love randy rhodes you know up until his passing when kevin passed away In 2007, I believe it was, man, it was a dark day for me, yes, for sure. Kevin, A, I was always a big fan of Quiet Riot without Randy Rhodes. So once I found out as a young musician slash music fan that this guy who I idolized, Randy Rhodes, he wrote this amazing music with Ozzy. Then I found out, oh, he founded Quiet Riot. What? Like that blew my right. mind because Metal Health was already a metal juggernaut in yeah. the world music right, and it was like, whoa, Randy Rhodes founded Quiet Riot, but before this Metal Health record, like, what the fuck? I remember just being so mind fucked by that idea that just blew me away. When I, as a young guitar player and teenager and music lover, there was a website that a friend of mine named Darren used to run called Thunderbird, and I don't know if you were ever on Thunderbird or not, Dan, but it was a Randy Rhodes forum. And Kevin Dubrow would come on there and talk Randy Rose with us all the time. And it was the coolest fucking thing. So like circling around to what I was saying a second ago when he passed, I felt like I lost a buddy because he would come on there and chat with us. I'm talking frequently, like a couple times a week. And if anybody had questions about Randy, they would post them. He would answer them for us. And at a time when the internet was really in its infancy and you couldn't just find anything anymore, he was so great to come on there and answer questions for us and just talk to us and give us his time. And that was so fucking cool. And I'm not trying to turn this into a Kevin Dubrow episode, but Kevin and Randy's lives definitely, they're together. They're linked. They're eternally linked, you know? And it was so cool to go on there and have Kevin answer questions for us about Randy. And as Randy fans, that meant so much to us, man.
0: Yeah, it's so awesome to hear, man. So back when I got into Randy, I knew he was in a band called Quiet Riot, and this is before Metal Health came out, but I knew they were Japanese releases only, and we couldn't find them. I mean, me and my buddies did a great job of buying imports, but for some reason, those Quiet Riot records were really hard to find back in the early 80s while Randy was still alive and right after his death. So when Quiet Riot came out with Metal Health, I knew that already that was Randy's band you know I was very curious to see if Randy's you know music was going to be used or anything like that and obviously it wasn't and then of course Thunderbird was a tribute to Randy which I thought was really awesome and I know it was written about him going to Ozzy not dying but it takes on a whole different meaning after the fact
1: but that goes back to what you were just saying about how when Ozzy took Randy from Quiet Riot and Randy landed the Ozzy gig that Kevin was happy for him Thunderbird was about that very thing like you just said it was about him going to Ozzy not about his passing and fly away and spread your Wings, you know, Thunderbird fly, go show the world what you can do, man. I know what you have now. You go show the whole fucking world what you have because I already know. And that's this like, fuck. I got chills saying that, man. Yeah. Like, how fucking cool. <laughs> I'm getting emotional. God damn. What the fuck? <laughs> okay. Uh, how cool. I wish I had some friends like that. I hope I do have friends like that. Dan, maybe one of them. I don't know. But how fucking selfless, man, to have a bandmate. If you've never been in a band, you don't understand the brotherhood of being in a group, man. Agreed. and you're trying to do this thing together you have this dream and in your dream you four motherfuckers are it and for one of those guys to get the opportunity to do something bigger and for you to literally be so happy for that guy that you write a song for him telling him to go do your thing man i'm so fucking proud of you like that's the fucking greatest thing in the world man and I hope I have friends like that. And I hope whoever's listening to this has friends like that. And Dan, I hope you do. I hope I'm that friend for you too.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: But, like, man, how fucking cool is that? And you've been in bands, dude. You know, the minute you think you got a member considering quitting, considering going somewhere else, you know that feeling. You want to go rip their fucking head off
0: because it's or you a get relationship. That, yeah, of course. Where you get that. Stomach feeling. I, it, I, it's hard to explain, yes. but you get nauseous and you, you, you get sick. To butterflies. And, yeah, yeah, and, butterflies in your and stomach. You're, and you're just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: I remember being at home one day and a bandmate came up there. And he's like, dude, Steve's moving. And we had a singer named Steve Dameron back then. He's like, he's moving to Florida. He moved back to Florida. And Steve was a fucking great singer, man. He, he sounded like Brian James Dio. He had this real powerful fucking vocal. And I just, like Dan said, you get those fucking knots and you just fuck your world's falling apart. Like everything we've built. Is fucking crumbling right now, and to know that he—I'm I apologize, I'm not trying to be big pussy or anything. But that just—I just love did, it. it. Just man, it's fucking great. But, like, for Kevin to truly see the beauty in what Randy was doing and knowing that, you know what, it failed with us, but the world's going to finally see what he can do. And I couldn't be more proud of him. That's just so fucking cool. I've never really even thought about it myself that much until saying it here on the show, like, how fucking cool that really is and how great. And then, to me, that almost means more than Thunderbird being about his passing. You know, like, if it were about his passing, it wouldn't actually be as sweet as it is for him. Just being happy for him to fucking do something so great with his life, man. And that's just wonderful that he could be that kind of friend.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that was, that was great, Josh. Absolutely great. So I now know. When I get taken to go on a national podcast, you're going to do an episode dedicated to me.
1: Yeah, and dedicate <laughs> this episode to Dan, the fuckhead Drago, who right. thinks he's too good for us. All of a sudden, he wants to be on a Judas Priest podcast and of an Aussie uh, podcast.
0: Get out of here! Hi. Hey, that was I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm I giving
1: Dan, shit, but that, the episode was really good, man.
0: Thank you. It was good. I, those guys are awesome. But you know, it really is emotional. I really, I mean, we've been doing bands, fuck, I've been doing bands for thirty plus years, and it is a different type of relationship relationship. relationship you're really married to four different guys or three different guys depending how many people and you know you gravitate towards certain guys that's the key that a lot of people don't realize i've never been in a band and I'm sorry, I've been with a lot of musicians where I'm best friends with everybody in the fucking band. That's just a myth. It doesn't happen that way. You gravitate to one or two guys. I was very fortunate in some of my later bands where I was great friends with all of them. And I'm still great friends with all those guys because at the end of the day, we're doing it because we love it and we love each other. And that's just a totally different thing when you're 24 years old or 15 years old and you're trying to be a rock star. It's a totally different vibe. And you just gravitate towards guys. And you know, obviously, Randy and Kelly were really close when they started but randy and kevin also really grew very very tight during that and it just happens they were the main songwriters when you write a song with somebody that's why i in my heart know that ozzy and randy were best of buds because you cannot form a relationship with somebody when you are writing songs together it is a very emotional and bonding experience and i've written with a lot of people in my life and i still continue to want to write with people but you're in a room or you're sitting face to face I i wrote a lot of songs I'm an acoustic, just face-to-face with the singer. And to me, that's some of the best moments of my entire life.
1: Yeah, no question, man. And you spoke to that a second ago when Randy and Kevin developed that relationship together. And you could see it happening. As much as we kind of went on that Kevin had Randy's back, I do agree Randy had Kevin's also. Randy saw Kevin's true potential also, no question about it. And Kevin even went on the record as saying that Randy tried to teach him how to sing. Like He knew he could sing. Like Randy knew Kevin had this thing also. So he tried to bring it out of him, almost the way Ozzy brought it out of Randy, if that makes any sense. Because Kevin has said in several interviews that Randy really worked with him on his vocals and how to sing properly, even though Randy himself wasn't a big-time vocalist, right? But he knew what it took, the same as Ozzy isn't a guitar player, but he knew what it took to get it out of Randy. Randy did the same thing for Kevin, so no doubt that Randy viewed him in the same light. But like you said, it began with Randy and Kelly Garney, and I do think there was some jealousy there. I don't want to throw shade at Kelly Garney. He's been excellent. I've spoken with him a few times. He got... My Randy Rozier's CD signed for me by him and Kevin Dubrow, which I'll forever be appreciative for. It's one of my favorite fucking pieces of collectibles that I have, man. And you know, He's a great person for that, and I definitely appreciate it. But they never have let the cat out of the bag on what really happened with the relationship when Kelly Garney left Quiet Riot. And, of course, he was later replaced with Rudy Sarzo, as, as all the fans know. And Rudy ends up in Aussie and everything else, right? But they've never really expressed what happened there that Kelly left the band. But like Dan alluded to a minute ago, you got to think that the budding relationship between Randy and Kevin Debro had to have a whole lot to do with that.
0: Yeah, and obviously Randy really cared about Kevin because, you know, even when he was with Ozzy, every time he was in L.A., they'd jam together, they'd play a couple of shows together, they would just hang out. So there was definitely a very, very special bond between yeah. Randy and Kevin.
1: I spoke about it before on the show, but Kevin went to Las Vegas to see Randy one time with Ozzy, and uh, he said they hung out the whole night together after the show, and that's when he played him the tribute, what went on to be the tribute cassette tape. It was the bootleg from uh, Cleveland, and Kevin had a copy of that already so in 1982 he had a bootleg recording of randy rhodes live that he listened to all the time and he, right. you know like i said on the episode before he went on to randy about how good the children of the Grave solo was and, and made randy listen to it and stuff. so i mean yeah definitely a, a great partnership great friendship and it could have definitely blossomed into something bigger for those two guys also had they stayed together but that said when randy goes on to ozzy i mean the whole world just fucking shifted
0: yeah there's no question and it's where i was gonna just shift to so randy with Quiet Riot for a couple of years, that was his band, his baby. He started the band. And that's something else people have to realize. When you start a band, you know, that's your fucking baby, man. Come to find out, Dana Strum calls him up. Ozzy's kicked out of Sabbath. and he's, He can't find anybody. And he relentlessly calls Randy. You got to try out for Ozzy. You got to try out for Ozzy. And Randy doesn't even want to do it. It's his mother that says, hey, I think this could be an amazing opportunity for you. You have to go to the audition. Thank it's not what you did. know.
1: It's who you know. Yeah, it's not what, what, you what you know. She she told you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and making connections with people
0: i love it ozzy is of course drunk off his ass when randy comes in randy sets up plays literally like a warm-up like just literally t- plugs in his guitar and plays like a lick and ozzy hires him <laughs> i mean it's like that instant which is just goes to show you how impactful randy's playing was in person and how he was so ahead of his time the one thing i really want to talk about also about quiet right before we finalize on ozzy This is the mid-70s, mid to late 70s, and really those first two Quiet Riot records and the Randy Rogier's record, there's so much hair metal in that sound. Now, we know he was very influenced by the glam metal scene, but it is so ahead of its time. Randy really was the precursor to that 80s hair metal scene while he was with Quiet Riot. And really, not much of that is in the Ozzy material. You know, he really shifts his focus and style of playing with Ozzy, which also shows a whole nother side of his genius. The fact that he came in, Ozzy's drunk, what a terrible first impression for Randy, but gets the gig just like that.
1: Dana Strum has told the story recently in an interview I was listening to where he said, you know... He knew the whole time that Randy Rose was the guy for Ozzy Osborne, But yet Ozzy had a list of 10 people that he had to go see first. And Dana, you know, for listeners who haven't heard it, he said, I told Ozzy all day, we can say fuck this list and I can take you to your guy right now. Or we can go do this all fucking day and then go to your guy. And Ozzy's like, ah, oh, they want us to see everybody on the list. So that's how Ozzy ended up so fucking plastered that night because they literally auditioned Randy at like two or three in the morning, right? Because Ozzy had already went and seen all these other guitar players on that list. There was like 10 guys, didn't really care much for any of them. Dana Strum told the story that he said he remember the first time he heard Randy Rhodes. He said he was at one of the clubs in L.A. Could have been to Starwood, could have been you know Whiskey A Go Go, but he said the crowd definitely loved Randy Rhodes. There's no question. Like he was the star of the show. He said, but in my world, the bigger name was Eddie Van Halen. He was kind of the guy on the scene. And he said, I see Randy Rhodes for the first time. He said, and I was just like, fuck me. Like this guy is better than Eddie Van Halen. Like there's no question in my mind. This guy is better than Eddie Van Halen. He said, from then on, I knew Randy was destined for stardom. He said, so when Ozzy was looking for a guitar player, I instantly knew who who it had to be. had to be Randy Rhodes. And God bless Dana Strum, man, because he's the one that put all this together for all of us. Without him, we definitely aren't here talking about this right now. There's no question about that, because he had a huge part in not only getting Ozzy to Randy, but he knew already before Ozzy was even looking for a guitar player who the best player on the fucking planet was he knew that randy rhodes was special and he saw it before a lot of other people did so that's pretty cool
0: yeah and randy told rudy that he didn't even meet ozzy on the night of his audition because he was so fucked up in the control room that it was dana strum who came out and told him he got the gig so <laughs> just think about how fucked yeah, up that whole situation that's fucking
1: crazy is, and yeah. then you know it's come out i've read somewhere over the years like, i can't remember exactly if it was you know dolores rhodes who said it in an interview or someone when he told his mom, I "Like I got the gig," and she's like, "Oh, okay, good." You know, he's like, "I don't know what gig I got, but apparently I got the gig because I was told I got the gig." He said, "They're supposed to call me in four weeks," and he said, "He truly never expected to be called." Like Randy thought that was it—that they were just kind of bullshitting him. Four weeks to the nose, they call him and say, "Hey, you ready to come to England, right?" And he goes, he flies over to England and start working on what would be the *Blizzard of Oz* album. So, right. Yeah, I mean, how fucking crazy, man. What a whirlwind, right? I mean, all of a sudden, you got this gig that you're not even sure you're interested in, and you blink your eyes, and you're literally in England freezing to fucking death because Randy's a Southern California guy. In one article I read, he said, you know, I thought I knew what cold was, but I didn't know what cold was. Like, I didn't realize until I got to Europe, like, what cold really is, you know. And that was actually an issue for him, a small little tidbit. He got very sick over in England. This the cold weather hit him hard. He wasn't right. used to that at all. And, of course, Sharon and they had to go out and get him some clothes and some proper jackets and things that he could wear. You know, it's so cold over there. Wow, man. I mean, just like that, your life has really changed. I mean, the blink of an eye can happen that quick, good or bad.
0: Yeah, the, the irony is, is when Ozzy flew back to England, so he auditioned Randy the night before he was going to fly back. Bob and him were jamming with another guitar player back there. And it just wasn't working for Ozzy. I just think it's awesome that Ozzy would tell Bob, no, no, I got this guy in California. I got this guy in California. I know Bob was like, well, fuck him, bring him out. So, you know, it's just ironic that Ozzy hired him, but went back to England. It's, you know, him and Bob started working with another player. In Ozzy's heart, I think he knew that Randy was the guy.
1: You know, the interesting thing, was, before we get off the quiet Riot, I mean, we've clearly transitioned to the Ozzy era here, but isn't it funny when you hear the old quiet Riot stuff, as much as you can hear Randy's, Come up and so to speak. Like you can hear him growing with those albums and becoming what he would become. He never really does a whole lot of the classical thing in Quiet Ride at all. It's very blues based. It's your basic 70s blues rock. Then when he goes on to record and write Blizzard of Oz with Bob and Ozzy and of course Lee Curse that comes in after the album was written. But like how amazing a shift to all of a sudden incorporate this classical style that sounded like he'd been playing it his whole fucking life, right? Like all of a sudden he's this classically trained guitar player. And the blues thing's kind of gone completely, in a sense, creates a whole new genre of guitar playing.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And really, it's amazing how much Ozzy impacted him as well. And of course, Bob. Bob is a genius. We all know that. And Bob had a lot of experience by that time. I mean, he's already played with Richie Blackmore and you know, definitely was a seasoned pro by the time they met Randy, just like Ozzy was. We talk about all the time on the show that Randy helped Ozzy understand keys and how to sing to his strengths, right? And I think that has really just elevated Ozzy from a vocal standpoint. You know, back in the day, we talk about this, Tony had a riff and that was the riff and Ozzy had to sing over that riff no matter what key it was in. But Randy really had worked with Ozzy and helped him understand, hey, let's do it in this key. It'll suit your voice better. It'll be easier for you to hit those notes. And Ozzy probably didn't even understand that. To me, that was amazing. But on the other hand, I think the influence that Ozzy had on Randy was also very huge because I think Ozzy was a wonderful advocate to let Randy know that he could do whatever he wants. You know, you want to include classical into our music? Let's do it. You want to triple track your solos? You do it. Ozzy really gave Randy the, the reins to really be himself, even more so than Quiet Riot, even though Quiet Riot was his band because of his blending of the classical, really writing and composing those solos which were a song within a song. You said it beautifully. I've always said that about Randy's work with Ozzy, which is those songs are great, but then you take a look at the solos, they're just another song within a song. Absolutely. And you can really hear the elevation of Randy as a player, in my opinion, from Quiet Ride to Blizzard is a big step, and then he was even getting better with Diary. It's just awesome to see that this young man who died at 25 was getting better every single year of his life. And, and I think him and Ozzy... Was a perfect combination.
1: Yeah, no question. I think the first time I heard that a song within a song was Zach Wild said that on that 30th anniversary DVD, and I just it instantly was like, "Yes, like that's so it." The solos he would put in the songs were their own thing. Yeah, they're so fucking magical, man. But yeah, he just continued to grow so quickly. You know, there's actually written music from Randy Rhodes that no one can transcribe. Did you know that? Are you familiar with that at all? No, I'm not. So they have music that Randy had written classical pieces. They gave them to Dolores Rose to see if she could decipher them and she couldn't. She tried. There's there's written music from Randy Rhodes out there somewhere on on paper that no one will ever understand or or know cuz Randy could read music but he wasn't really well versed in reading music. He wasn't efficient at it. He could do it. He could he could get through. The stuff that he had written on paper was kind of like it was written in Randy code, so to speak. You know what right. I'm saying? He knew yeah. what he was writing down, but no one else looking at it could really tell you. And, right. and they tried to see if she maybe knew what he was pinning out there and they could never quite kind of get to the bottom of it, which is you really sad because who knows? But I I definitely fuck like it would have been classical stuff. But, you know, going back to the freedom that Randy had in Ozzy's band, you know, a great example of that is D. The record label didn't really want D on that album. That wasn't something they was very interesting spending time on an acoustic guitar solo, but Randy told Ozzy, "I have this thing I'd like to put on there for my mother." And in my own words, Ozzy says, "If Randy fucking wants to put it on there, it's going to be on there, which is awesome, right? I mean, the record label—they are the end-all, be-all of everything. But how cool is that? And, you know, we all know that Blizzard of Oz was on a extremely tight budget, right? I mean, like they had no money at this point." And it shows you how much the Ozzy believed in Randy, that he knew if he wanted to have it on there, he needed to have it on there. But like you said, he definitely had the freedom to do what he wanted to do. But at the same time, Ozzy did push him. The stories are abound how Randy always said that Ozzy would come in. You can do better than that, man. It's good, but you can do better than that. And I think Mr. Crowley was a good example of that, as was Flying High again. You know, Ozzy definitely pushed him that it's great, but it's not quite there yet. And you know, Ozzy knew what Randy had inside, man, and he definitely brought every bit of it out of him.
0: Yeah, the interesting thing too is like Randy had a lot of these bits. You know, there's a lot of bits in the Ozzy material from a musical standpoint, nothing vocally, that he played with Quiet Riot that they basically transposed or Randy brought into the Ozzy fold, right? And it's little things like Suicide Solution, you know, it was a riff from force of habit. And Ozzy heard him playing it and Ozzy completely rearranged the riff with him, going, No, 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 do that twice. Da-na-na-na. It became Suicide yeah. Solution. He had he had Goodbye to Romance, which is the first song they ever wrote together, but it was really just a snippet that he played in Laughing Gas, his guitar solo for Quiet Riot. But Ozzy was smart enough and conscientious enough to hear that and go, "Fuck, we can make that into a song. Take yeah. that and let's let's write around that, Randy. Let's write around that. And that's really where the magic between them was.
1: And in Randy's world, you know, and you and I've been there as musicians. This is stuff that no one's ever going to hear from the Quiet Riot stuff. A lot of it hadn't even been released. Like you said, Goodbye to Romance was in his guitar solo, which had never been released. It was just his live guitar solo, right? Breaking Up as a Heartache has the snippet that we later heard in Still Away the Night. Yep. But Breaking Up as a Heartache was never released, even in Japan. It was a demo for an upcoming Quiet Riot record that never got recorded. So Randy has these riffs laying around, these ideas, not so much riffs as they are transitional moments, this little nuances and moments and songs that some of them were recorded for Quiet, right? A lot of them were recorded in demo form, but it'll never be released. Why not use it? Like you said, Ozzy had the foresight to hear some of those ideas, This if Randy's jamming on them, playing on them. And, hey, we can turn that into something. Force of Habit and Suicide Solution that you mentioned a minute ago is a prime example. Because if you hear Force of Habit, it's nothing like Suicide Solution. If you've never heard it, go check it out, fans. But it's nothing like Suicide Solution. But in the middle, there's one quick. And like you said, Ozzy hears that one time. And together, they turn that into one of the greatest, most classic Ozzy songs of all time, Suicide Solution.
0: Yeah, it's just chemistry. You know what I mean? You can't replicate it. And then throw Bob and Lee on top of it. Two Blizzard of Oz records, I say it all the time, are the two greatest records ever. The big one that Randy took, of course, and we'll talk about this in more detail, is... The guitar solo for you looking at me looking at you is straight up the guitar solo from Breaking Up as a Heartache. But that wasn't released either. That was also an unreleased track.
1: Yeah, that was a demo. And yeah. for those that don't know, Randy played bass on that. So when you hear a couple of those tracks on the Randy Rosiers, Randy is actually playing bass on those, which is I find very fun.
0: Yeah, it's so cool. Absolutely yeah.
1: awesome.
0: It's like when I find out when Paul McCartney plays drums on a Beatles track. It gets me all excited.
1: <laughs> yeah. But
0: yeah, I get it. But yeah, that's and that guitar solo was fucking brilliant. And for me personally, it doesn't really fit the song Breaking Up is a Heartache as well. I mean, I think you're looking at me looking at you as a 20,000 time better song. I think it's a great song. But both solos are just smoking, and they're very, very similar.
1: If we back up to the Quiet Riot stuff real quick. Quiet Riot 1, I'll have to admit, I'm not as big on it. It's not the greatest thing. They're literally teenagers, and... They're getting there, but it's a far cry from what Quiet Riot 2 ended up being. Quiet Riot 2, of course, had Sleep Black Cadillac, which Kevin Dubrow put on Metal Health also and went on to be a classic Quiet Riot song that they still play live to this day, right? Quiet Riot 2 was a massive leap forward from Quiet Riot 1. What was going to be Quiet Riot 3 was all demos. It was never released. It was never recorded other than in demo form. Kevin Dubrow does release a lot of that on The Randy Rhodes years, which is like breaking up as a heartache, picking up the pieces, those tracks, which are my two favorite songs, by the way, from that album. You can hear, though, if you listen to Quiet Riot 1, then 2, then 3, you can hear Randy progressing quickly. Like his guitar playing from 1 to 2 is astronomical, the change. Then it's playing from 2 to what would be 3, again, another astronomical step forward. And then, of course, from the Quiet Riot 3 demos, you go on to Blizzard of Oz, right? And that's when it really fucking shook the world. But the point I'm getting at is the the growth was there from the start. Now that you go back and listen to those tracks, you can definitely hear it going, ramping up the whole time.
0: Yeah, and I do think that a lot of what Kevin did on the Randy Rogers CD is showcase that a lot of those licks were from the Quiet Riot era. A lot of those Ozzy songs started as Quiet Riot demos, and I think that was part of the songs he chose. There's no question about it. And that's why he yeah. put forth of Habit on there, and breaking up his heartache, so they can show in and Laughing and Gas, hey, a lot of those Aussie ideas Randy had while we were even in Quiet Riot.
1: Yeah, he even beefed that up. I mean, for one, Kevin spoke a lot about it in the interviews he did promoting that album. But like on the Laughing Gas solo, they even added during the, the Crazy Strange section, da-da, 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 and Kevin added the, <laughs> he added that, that wasn't there.
0: Right, of course. That
1: for the fans to hear that, like, hey, that's Crazy Train, you know, like, listen (laughs) close, fans, and
0: it totally is Crazy Train, man. Just, I mean, it's like a three-second part, but fuck, it's just, it's totally that intro.
1: Yeah, it's the intro to Crazy Train. It's one of the most iconic intros in rock and roll music. Period. You know, and I love that he beefed that up. You know, he did. uh, We're kind of speaking in circles, but Kevin did run all of Randy's guitar tracks through a Marshall. That was set up very similar to what he played on tribute. So it'd give him more of that nap- the tone he had with Ozzy Osbourne and stuff. That you know, they beefed that album up. And like exactly. I said, Kevin resung the vocals and they redid the drums and things like that. So but yeah, it, it ended up being a great release. But yeah, you could definitely see the growth going up through, and like you said, transitioning out of the blues into the the classical era, but, you know, I never thought about it until you said this a second ago, but you mentioned that Bob worked, you know, with Richie Blackmore. Well, Richie's a classical guitar player kind of guy also. I wonder how much he helped bring that out of Randy Rhodes when he got with him.
0: I'm sure a lot. Randy had to be influenced by Richie. You know, he doesn't talk about deep purple very much, but there's undenying similarities between their playing. And I think Bob is the connection, right? He's that bridge between the two of them. So there's no question that, that Bob was integral to Randy establishing his classical side and embracing it just like Ozzy was. It was the perfect storm, man. We're diehard Ozzy fans. Everybody knows that, that listens to the show. We understand the chemistry between Ozzy, Randy, Bob, and Lee was just a a once-in-a-lifetime moment. Those four guys together just clicked unlike anything. I mean, it was really special. It was special. No question about it. So, you know, I'm looking at the track listing here for the Randy Rogers and, you know, that afterglow of your love, man, cover that Steve Marriott and, and Ronnie Lane Small Faces song, but they just, they do it as an uh, acoustic, and fuck me, does that not sound like a precursor to hair metal?
1: You know, that version on there, actually, it wasn't acoustic on the original. Yeah, it right. It like Kevin did on, the, on the re-release. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, how cool that Randy even put 12-string guitar in the damn thing to begin with. Right. You know, I mean, it's fucking great that, you know, I think Kevin's thing was not, I think, I recall him saying this, that was released in 93 and the MTV Unplugged was so popular. When he realized going back into it that Randy had laid acoustic guitar, 12 string acoustic guitar in the back of that song, he thought, how cool if I just pulled that off and used the acoustic guitar and make it an acoustic track, leave the guitar solo in there electric. And how funny that Ozzy did that years later with on the 30th him. anniversary with Goodbye to Romance.
0: Yeah, yeah literally absolutely. the exact
1: same thing. Afterglow of Your Love is one of my favorite ones, also. That was on Quiet Riot too. Kevin Dubrow is a massive Steve Marriott fan, so I think he worked a lot to get a similar sound to Steve Marriott, and he—that was definitely what he was into. And I'm sure Randy was also. Yeah, you know, Randy, he really doesn't talk a whole lot about his influences in interviews. That was something he always kind of shied away from. You know, growing up, he didn't have a record player, and right. that's really the story he would always tell us: we didn't have a record player, and. I played what I played and the music I heard was what I was playing or what my mother was playing or my brother. I think Kelly was probably a big influence on Randy back then because Kelly was always playing in bands and stuff. And Kathy also played guitar. The names that have kind of come out of his mouth from time to time is you know like Leslie West is one.
0: Yeah, Glenn Buxton from the Alice Cooper band is another one.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think I think those are kind of his main two. Another one that I always found interesting, he never really says Mick Ronson of David Bowie a whole lot, but there is no doubt that Randy Rhodes got his look from Mick Ronson of David Bowie. When I first saw a picture of Mick, I had to take a double take. It looks like Randy Rhodes standing there. I just couldn't believe it.
0: There's no question that Mick Ronson had an influence on, on Randy, not only in his look, but definitely in his playing as well.
1: But, you know, that's one thing I want to touch on also. Randy's look. Here we are. This is the 40th anniversary of his passing. And when you see photos of Randy Rhodes on stage to this day, you're like, Man, he's cool as fuck. <laughs> like, who's fucking cooler than Randy Rhodes? You see these photos of him and those black leather vests and the fucking Jackson Flying V guitar or the polka dot V. He just always looked so fucking cool, man. Like he and he still looks cool. Like so many people, when you look back, We love Ozzy. Everyone knows how much me and Dan love Ozzy. But you see some of those pictures from 82, 83. Ozzy looks weird as fuck. And you kind (laughs) of laugh a little bit, right? I love it. We found one of Ozzy the other day. I was busting Ryan's balls. We found one of Ozzy from like 1986 where he has like the mid-sized hair. It's not quite grown out yet, but it's not short. And he looked just fucking like Ryan in that photo. I was fucking dying. He looked like a housewife. But you never see photos of Randy. Even back when he was in Quiet Riot, man. All the way through, he always looked fucking cool. He had this little guy with his big flying V guitars. They always just looked so fucking awesome on him. And I think, you know, let's be honest, man. In the world of music, image is a whole lot of all of it, right? I mean, Ozzy's made his career off of image. It's a huge part of what he does. Randy just always looked so fucking cool, man, that I think that's really stuck with him all these years later. And it's part of the allure that keeps him in the public eye, the way he's managed to stay, not only the ability to play the guitar the way he did and with the passion that he had. No one could touch Randy's passion. He was the perfect mixture for me of flash, but at the same time, passion just combined yeah. into one. You know what I mean? Like you, It's just hard to fucking do. He's, he's like Steve I mixed with David Gilmore. Yeah. And you put them together and it's like, man, like it's just so hard to find that. But on top of it all, he looked cool as fuck. And I don't think there's ever been a cooler looking rock star in the history of music than Randy Rhodes.
0: Yeah, he did have a great look. And I'm not going to lie, Ozzy lifting Randy, you know, a lot of different uh, photos of that is probably the most iconic pictures of both of them for me. To me, it's just an amazing look. And, you know, Randy was a very small man. and. You know, I used to think Ozzy was a gargantuan guy when I was young because how he would be able to pick <laughs> up Randy, you know, not really yeah, not sure. realizing that Randy was really small, but Ozzy's yeah. not that big of a guy. The pictures of Ozzy lifting Randy to me is definitely what I always go back to. They're, they're oh, very man. iconic for me. It but,
1: helped make tribute what it was. It's such an iconic fucking photo, but it's a funny story. The same way, man, I've met Ozzy one time and my wife was with me. We weren't married yet. And we both were just blown away. that Aussie's not very big at all. You can kind of see that now. But when you see it with your own eyes in person, he's even smaller kind of than you realize. Not to me. In the photo, not to Dan. Dan's (laughs) kind of short. Yeah, In the photo, if if anyone sees on my social media page, if they come on there, you see photos of my wife with me and Aussie. And she's kind of hunched over. My wife's 5'11", and she's kind of bent down a little bit to get down there with Aussie because he's a lot. And that was her takeaway of the day for sure i heard that the whole fucking night i can't believe how small he was he was much smaller than i realized but like you said when he's lifting randy in that photo ozzy looks like he's six foot four
0: yeah and a beast.
1: one thing that doesn't get discussed a lot because you know that iconic photo did so much for that but kevin dubrow lifted randy also put him on his shoulders kind of like yeah bon he did Scott a little Nagus. different, more of
0: that acdc thing
1: yeah yeah which is which is pretty cool also but that like you said nothing will ever top the photo from the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, Illinois, January 24th, 1982. That was fucking amazing.
0: The one thing I do want to talk about a little bit is I think Randy's tone is way better on the Diary record than on the Blizzard record. I think his tone is okay on the Blizzard record. Actually, not great. And I'm talking about his rhythm tone here, not his lead tone. His lead tone was always fantastic. The rhythms on Diary are darker, heavier, heavier. I just think his tone is way better on Diary. They really got it dialed in by the second record.
1: No question. And I think tuning down a half-step is a huge part of that also. Yeah,
0: it is. Well, SATO is not tuned down. That's in 440, and that still has a great tone. I just think they yeah. got the Marshalls dialed in for that, you know, that record. I don't know if it was Max Norman, but they really definitely got the, the guitars way better on die river madman.
1: Yeah, no doubt. You mentioned SATO. A quick moment on that one. We were discussing the Aussie quiet riot parallels on there. But yeah, the the intro leading into the guitar solo for SATO is totally the main riff of We Got the Magic, which was on Quiet Riot too. Except on SATO he speeds it up. No, 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 no,
0: So fun to play. Man. Same elite, I love that. Man.
1: But yeah, I agree, man. The tone for Diary of a Madman is fucking perfect. I wouldn't change anything about it. He sounds fucking like a god. This period.
0: So it wouldn't be a diary of the madman episode if Josh and I didn't end this with what we think are our ten top Randy Rhodes solos. So let's talk about this real quick. We're gonna give you each of our solos and talk a little bit about them because we didn't really go over them. These are traditional solos. We're not going to count D as a solo or the intro to Revelation Mother Earth. It's not riffs. We're not including Laughing Gas or the Suicide Solution tribute solo. These are what we consider solos within the songs. Each solo is going to be judged separately. We might have songs on this list that have multiple solos that make our list.
1: Yeah, and one more thing we agreed to throw in was the three tracks off of Tribute, which is... Iron Man Children of the Grave and Paranoid Iron Man doesn't even have a solo but fuck it but we decided to agree to let those three in also because they're just so fucking iconic and we're throwing in the Quiet Riot stuff if you have a Quiet Riot solo that we believe might be in Randy's top ten then it's gonna be in there As listeners, we challenge you, give us your top 10, and we would love to see if any of you have your Quiet Riot solos in the top 10. It'd be really fun to see. So definitely throw your top 10 Randy solos out there for us to check out, because we really do enjoy, more than you all realize, Dan and I definitely enjoy reading those top 10 lists, because it's so interesting to see how everyone's different.
0: And let us know how Randy impacted your life and how you found out about Randy and discovered him, and you know, we'd love to hear those stories for sure. All right, let's start. I will start the list this time, if that's okay with you, sir. You motherfucker. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Thank you, man. <laughs> All right. So my number 10 is the Diary of a Madman solo. It is just so unique. It's got a very Arabian vibe to it. I know his modes are a little bit different. And he ends with that great pentatonic run. But I think the Diary of a Madman solo is just such a unique piece of music. It's definitely one I love to play over and over again it's got a lot of interesting and unique choices in the notes
1: one thing i spoke about a lot on our ballads episode was serving the song randy's solo in die of a madman serves the song it's not flashy it's not over the top but it's fucking perfect for the song it has a mood to it and that's exactly what randy wanted it to have i fucking love it man good choice okay number 10 for me is breaking up is a heartache
0: whoa 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 whoa. (laughs) wait a minute you're picking breaking up as a heartache over you looking at me looking at you this has been a point of contention
1: for me and dan for years you knew deep down i preferred the breaking up as a heartache version i know they're the same solo but they definitely end different you know the the second half randy changed it on uh, you looking at me looking at you but i prefer the breaking up as a heartache version where he ends up doubling the lead and just does the pentatonic scale again. Right. And I just fucking love it, man. I don't know. I love that song. That is my favorite quiet ride with Randy Rhodes song. It has been from the moment I've heard it. Kevin Dubrow called it a very Beatles-esque song, but they were trying to have a Beatles vibe with that song. I don't know no. that I hear a Beatles Try vibe again. necessarily with
0: no, it. No, 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 no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I do love that song, and that guitar solo just always stood out. And I remember, if I'm not mistaken, I believe I heard this solo on Breaking Up as a heart before I did on You Looking at Me, Looking at You. And when I heard you looking at me looking at you I was like whoa was the breaking up as a heartache solo whereas the rest of the world heard it the other way around right everybody heard you looking at me looking at you first versus breaking up as a heartache second
0: Well not but necessarily cuz you looking at me looking at you was not readily available it was just the b side of the original crazy train single That's know? true So it was which hard is, to which find is why I,
1: yeah, which is why I had never heard it yet, because I did have Blizzard of Oz first, but that wasn't on there back then. So, yeah, it was out there, but not as out there. I don't know. Breaking Up Is A Heartache was always my favorite Quiet Riot song with Randy, and that solo just always stuck out, man. I fucking
0: love it. Yeah, I love the lead playing, and you're looking at me, looking at you. I just think Randy is definitely tighter on the ozzy song i mean he triple tracks his solo and that really stands out i definitely love the breaking up is a heartache but for me it's definitely you looking at me yeah. looking at you
1: i mean obviously the production is higher on you looking at me looking at you there's no question about that but i don't know i just like the feel of the original and it's just a demo too so it wasn't even really the finished product of that song so right. but i like that one i don't know it's just my voice it's my list fuck off man we've been through this every time we do a list we go through this my list That's
0: right and the last thing I do want to say for that is You Looking at Me Looking at You was originally scheduled to be on Blizzard of Oz, but was taken off at the last minute when they brought Lee in and they wrote No bow Movies and they slid No bow Movies in instead of You which, Looking at Me Looking at You.
1: Yeah, which is interesting because that's probably… I hate to say it. That's probably Randy's worst solo off the two albums, right? I mean, he's he's doing the slide guitar on that. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, I don't want to say it's all over the place, but it's not as good as what he did on Tribute. The Tribute version of No Bone Movies is way better way soloized better. than what was on yeah. the CD of, of Blizzard of Oz, for sure.
0: All right, so my number nine is still with the Diary of a Madman record, and we're going to go to SATO. One of my favorite guitar solos of all time. I just think... It's haunting. It's got so much melody. It's fun as shit to play. If you're a guitar player, learn how to play SATO. It is a fucking blast. It is just so brilliantly composed. Definitely one of my favorites.
1: Okay, so number nine for me is the classic. I don't know, man. I fucking love the guitar solo, but the part that really cinches it up for me is when it goes back to the riff and you know, da 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 da, and he's doing the feels like we talked about earlier. No 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 da 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 da. da, da, da. That is the fucking part that just that's the linchpin to the whole solo for me. I fucking love that one. I can only imagine guitar fans when they hear the Blizzard of Oz for the first time and then that guitar solo comes on that they have to be just absolutely be thrown back in their fucking seat, man. It's just so fucking good.
0: It is amazing, man. And I love the walk down he does during that solo. Oh, and it's yeah. fun and shit to play. It's yeah, it's a great solo. Good choice. So my number eight is the outro from tonight. Back on the Diary of a Madman record. So fuck 10, nine, and eight, all Diary of a Madman for me. I think the ending of tonight is probably Randy's best feeling of a solo. He shows so much passion, so much just emotion. Every time I listen to it, man, I stop what I'm doing because he blends the perfect notes with ridiculous runs. If you really listen to the fade out on that, and, I, and I'm one of those guys that puts that up to 100 on my, my volume so every I can hear time. every every fucking note he's playing (laughs) but he is throwing some brilliant runs in there and we know we really didn't talk about this too much but he didn't have as much time to write the solos for diary as he did blizzard and you just know that that outro for tonight is randy going hit play let me just go and for me it is the essence of randy it's just fucking emotional and brilliant
1: yeah you touched on something there that we probably should have brought up earlier in the show Diary of a Madman was recorded in such a haste that most of the solos Randy literally threw together very quickly, and some of them he didn't even get to complete. And that's a great example was the outro to tonight, literally an improvised what we call in the industry a scratch solo, something yeah. for time and space. That a solo goes here, that later on you'll rewrite and create and complete. And he never got to do that, unfortunately, on a couple of tracks on Diary of a Madman. But yet they end up being some of the best stuff he did on the album. That's just how fucking good he was that what Randy's just simply jamming on and riffing on ends up being music that guitar players are trying to emulate for the rest of their fucking lives. It's amazing. So good choice on tonight. All right. Number eight for me is the first guitar solo in Mr. Crowley. Whoa. Mr. Crowley is one of the most guitar driven songs of all time. I think, I think the true catch to those songs the true hook is the guitar solos it doesn't really dance about this a lot in the show before it doesn't have a chorus those guitar solos are so fucking magical the both of them i'm not gonna spoil my list but i will say the both of them i will give that away they're both on my list because those two pieces of fucking music those two compositions are fucking hard to touch they're amazing
0: my number seven is the first choice from blizzard of oz for me and that is the very emotional goodbye to romance I fucking love the solo in the song. I would have to say if there was one guitar solo in my life that when I compose my solos that I always go back to, it's Goodbye to Romance. And I really analyzed that solo. It is so emotional. He's got some crazy runs in it. But definitely one of the highlights is Goodbye to Romance.
1: And that brings me to number seven, Goodbye to Romance.
0: Hey, hey, for all the
1: reasons that Dan just spoke about, it's fucking gorgeous, beautiful guitar solo. And I always looking at Randy on the rhythm for Goodbye to Romance. It's a little bit softer. Like the volume's turned halfway down on the guitar, kind of softer, right? But yet yeah. the guitar solo comes in full throttle. And I don't mean full throttle shredding. I mean just the tone is so fucking perfect on the guitar solo, man. And I'm like you. It's one that I play a lot myself at home. And I just have always loved it and I go back to it a lot. Goodbye to Romance is fucking beautiful guitar solo. Number seven for me.
0: My number six is the electrifying. Flying High Again from Diary of a Madman. To me, I think this is a brilliant composition. The first half has kind of got him just flying, doing some pentatonic scales, and just his playing is just magical in the first half. And then that second half, he comes in with that really, really big tapping sequence, which he, I know Randy's known for tapping, but he doesn't tap as much as people realize. Flying High Again is definitely, for me, The highlight of his tapping career. It's just beautifully composed. It is executed amazing. It's clearly one of the songs that he had completed from a solo standpoint. And that's the song that he kept working on, working on, working on. And Ozzy basically pushed him. And then, you know, he came out of the studio with that shit ass grin on his face. And Ozzy knew he had something special.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that was one of the ones he was pushing on the hardest. Yeah, I'm with you, man. The Flying High Again Solo. That those arpeggios there at the end of it, that's the whole fucking thing right there, man. It's just so fucking amazing to hear almost the reverse tapping. Like, it's going the opposite direction. They're pulling yeah. away. It's so fucking cool. It's, I, I love it, too, man. Definitely more to come from Flying High again on this list. But for me, that brings me to nine number six, which is Children of the Grave from Tribute. Listen, Dan and I have made no bones about it that, in our minds, the definitive version of Children of the Grave is the version with Randy Rose on Tribute. It's just fucking gorgeous in its entirety. It's fucking magical. But that guitar solo on Children of the Grave is so fucking perfect from Randy. And he's literally just improvising fucking licks. He called them Chuck Berry riffs. And I'll tell the story real quick. I've told it on the show before, but we realize that everyone hasn't heard every episode. When Kevin Dubrow went to Las Vegas to see Randy live, he said they hung out the whole entire night after the show in Vegas. Literally till sunup, just hanging out. And I mentioned earlier on this episode that Kevin had what went on to be the tribute Cassette tape, a bootleg of tribute from Cleveland, Ohio, May of '81. And he let Randy hear. He told us, Man, you really do an awesome job on those Black Sabbath songs. And Randy's like, Ah, this I, I kind of fuck off on those. I just play Chuck Berry r- licks and it's nothing. I just kind of jam on those. And Kevin said he was insistent that Randy listen to it. And he played Randy that recorded version of Children of the Grave that he recorded in, like I said, went on to be the tribute performance and he said that randy who was so humble he never wanted to pat himself on the back that even randy was kind of like this big shit grin I was like wow like yeah that one that does sound pretty good you know like he realized himself that he was literally just throwing down some licks goofing off having fun but it's fucking a masterpiece it's so fucking good i fucking love it i've tried to emulate it my entire life and it's Definitely one of the most solid moments of the Tribute record. I fucking love it. Number six for me, Randy Rose doing some Black Sabbath with Children of the Grave.
0: So that brings us to our top five. And I'm going to say this with all sincerity. These are the top five favorite guitar solos of anybody ever. These are my top five guitar solos. There's no question about it. I don't care if I'm talking Beatles, Sabbath, you know, all these other bands I love. These are my five favorite guitar solos, period. The five that affected me the most in my life as a guitar player that made me go holy fuck i have to play guitar because of randy rhodes i mean that's it so number five for me is the electrifying over the mountain off of dire of a madman the first time i heard the solo my jaw hit the fucking floor I mean, I wasn't a player yet. I was a kid, but I had never heard anything like it before with those stops and Randy doing those dive bombs and those licks and maybe the most song, even though it's number five on my list where I was just like, I've never heard anything like this in my life. I have to buy a guitar and learn how to play guitar. And every time I hear it, I still go back to being that young kid, closing my eyes and just being mesmerized by Randy's playing.
1: No fucking question, man. Excellent choice. And I agree totally. These top five maybe even the top 10 for me and you really is like our favorite guitar solos of all time. I mean, there's yeah. just, they, we just love them so fucking much. Number five for me is the kind of an outro, but it's really the only real guitar solo in the song, but it's revelation, mother earth. Once that song, you know, it's, it's slow and classical and that, let me be clear before I state this, that instrumental piece, it's mostly piano driven in the middle. is beyond gorgeous. Like that may be my favorite thing on the entire fucking record. It's just so fucking beautiful. That's a true, Composition that you would put with anyone in music history, right? It's just fucking beautiful. But then you come out of that with dun dun dun, dun and then Randy leads into that fucking guitar solo, man, which is just completely fucking rips your head off. And the song takes a whole new twist. With again, it goes back to what we said about a composition inside of a composition, right? The song is this one thing the whole time. Then it ends with Randy's guitar solo, which is a whole fucking totally different thing, and it's fucking awesome. It's just fucking awesome. His tone is awesome. The licks are fucking awesome. And I love it. Number five for me, Revelation, Mother Earth outro is fucking perfect. Not to mention the ending of it. When it builds up, you know, Steal Away the Night. Fucking magic, man. I love it.
0: So my number four is the first solo in Mr. Crowley. It is just so iconic. And you said it brilliantly earlier, and I don't want to really talk about stuff we've already talked about. But but the first solo to Mr. Crowley... He does a lick in there run where it he kind of palm mutes it and it's just so smooth. And the fact to know that he's triple tracking that fucking solo, which most people can't even play at once, is just mind blowing to me. It is just a fantastic fucking solo.
1: Yeah. And if I can chime in on you real quick, when he plays it on after hours, he's like literally staring off into space. Yeah. He's not right. Like, <laughs> it's just so fucking easy for him. I know exactly the run you're talking about. Okay. Number four for me. We're kind of on par here over the mountain both solos and over the mountain because really i know you can't use them both but they're kind of the same solo but just, he kind of redoes the same lick at the end of the song but right. it's, you know slightly different but man i'm like you when i first heard those dive bombs and it just sounds like the solos getting ready to crash and burn right so after randy does the bends and stuff and then the band does the chokes you know randy's just shredding over those fucking chokes that's fucking brilliance this brilliance personified i fucking love it and not to mention that it opens up with the, kind of the leak from Black Sabbath, right? Total yep. coincidence. He, I don't know that randy ever
0: even heard that fucking song. He didn't. It was total coincidence. I
1: mean, yeah, he says he's never even heard it. And Ozzy pointed it out instantly like, dude, that's Black Sabbath, but it's right. fucking badass. But again, he goes to the higher octave and does, you know, and, tr- and tracks it with two octaves to give it that perfect fucking tone. But opening up with Black Sabbath and then going into that shredding fucking solo with the dive bombs and, like I said, the band choking the fucking rhythm. It's this is fucking perfect, man. That's a great fucking solo. And then even the dive back up to come back to the track. Yep. It's fucking so brilliance, man. <laughs> fucking brilliance. And played on that badass fucking White Jackson guitar, which almost adds to the fucking lore of the song, right? Like it's fucking a cool fucking lick put on this fucking badass guitar. It looks like a jet plane. It just all fucking worked together, man. It's just the perfect fucking combination.
0: My number three stays on Blizzard of Oz, and it was already on your list, but I can't emphasize enough what this solo means to me as a player. Because I would have to say if there was a solo in my life that I tried to play, and, and I could play it for the most part when I was younger, but this is the one that locked me away forever of like, I'm going to learn how to play this guitar solo, and that is Revelation Mother Earth. When he starts that solo with the trills and moving up the fretboard, and then he goes into that little classical piece that fucking Ingve does a lot of. There's just something about revelation mother earth where I can hum you the whole fucking solo front to back right now. That's how memorable of a solo that is. It literally is a composition, a classical composition in a part of a song that gets metal as fuck. Let me tell you, 1980 when that was written, that part is so fucking heavy coming out of that classical part. Mm -hmm. and, And that goddamn solo, man, it is a classical composition. And hats off to Randy for composing it because it is definitely the solo that I stayed in my bedroom of playing over and over and over again so I can get it. And it's it's just gorgeous.
1: I remember one time when Black Sabbath released 13 and there was a section in Dear Father. I believe it was you. You said, man, it's kind of makes your heart race a little bit. Like it just picks up. It's like makes your heart race. And I was like, I kind of I feel that. I know what you're saying. This could part of the guitar solo for Revelation with Earth does that to me also. Like it just it almost makes you antsy. It's like, it's building up this fucking thing. And it's like, it's bigger than a guitar solo.
0: It's really cool that you mentioned Dear Father, because there is that riff in Dear Father that is very similar to the riff of Revelation Mother Earth. And it's that... You know, where he hits the E and then he goes from the E to the B flat, you know, boom, Randy's, of course, is way more intricate, but your father has that riff in it, man. It's totally Randy coincidentally borrowed the Black Sabbath riff and Tony coincidentally borrows that little riff from Revelation Mother Earth.
1: All right. So in at number three for me, we've already discussed it once, but. It's a little higher on my list is Flying High Again. What a fucking monster guitar solo. You know, you mentioned earlier that you think maybe Randy inspired the hair metal thing and the glam rock of the 80s more than people realize. I think guitar solos like Flying High Again are the direct example of that. I have no doubt that every guitar shredder in the 80s fucking looked at that song. That's bad to the bone, and I want to do my version of it because that solo is a fucking staple of what a hard rock guitar solo is supposed to sound like in the 80s, and I fucking love it. And here on our show, Randy's brother, Kelly Rhodes, said that Flying High Again was his favorite of the Randy yeah. Rhodes guitar solos. We'll, th- something we'll throw out there for him. So, so we're doing our little list. We'll mention that Kelly said his was Flying High Again.
0: So my number two was on your list as well. And I have to say, it's definitely my second favorite guitar solo of all time. And that is Children of the Grave off of Tribute. I don't care if it's a bunch of Chuck Berry riffs. That solo is magic. And again, I bet you Randy didn't even compose it like he was just like yeah 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 it's in the key of c sharp i'll write something fucking a man that that solo has so much feeling in it that definitely is one that i always go back to and of course you know i love tony's version and his solo but here's the truth i have a bunch of versions of of randy playing children of the grave there a lot of them are great but nothing is as magical as the one that made it on tribute that one was just a special moment captured in that instant and to me, that's just gorgeous.
1: <laughs> so funny. The thing you just stated, the very line you just stated, even with other releases of Randy playing Children of the Great, be it bootleg, be it official releases like the Aussie Live, it's never as good as it was on Tribute. That was a Ever. perfect fucking moment. I was going to say the same thing, then you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. It was never the same. There's similar riffs, but there's just something about the way he structured them on Tribute that is absolutely perfect, man. Great call. Okay, and at number two for me, this one is kind of the dark horse on my list, I think. I have so much respect for this solo that I've never even tried to learn it. I know how to play the song. I'll play the song for you right now. I'll play it on guitar. I'll play all the way through. I've never even tried to learn the solo that is the outro of Tonight. And that comes in at number two for me.
0: Oh, nice. Like
1: you said earlier, his mix of feel and emotion, and he's just fucking playing the scratch track. Yeah, But it is fucking awesome awesome and it's beautiful and it's perfect for that song had randy written a solo for that i just don't think it would have been any better than what his scratch track
0: was agree 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 it's magic
1: it's just so fucking good and there's moments in that like that little tapping section there at the end of it and things I, I I don't want to know how to play it because I want it to stay magical. I don't know if that makes sense to people or not, but like once you learn it, you kinda it's like seeing how a magic trick is done. I almost don't even want to learn that lick because it's so fucking neat and it's so different and it's I've never heard anyone else do it. But that solo was so fucking good and so fucking special on a special song that clearly you and I stated last week was the top of the heap for us in Aussie ballads, right? Yeah. I think Randy really loved that song and that solo was just so fucking good. It's sad that he never got to realize what he did with that guitar solo because he was gone before it ever really had time to to manifest and brew in the fan base. But man, Randy was very distraught about not being able to finish some of those solos. And that was a big point of contention for him that he didn't get to finish that album. And some of his scratch tracks went on there, and this and that. But like we said earlier, it could not have been played any better. I fucking love it. Tonight's outro was fucking stellar.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I could play the solo. In the middle of tonight all day and it's one of my favorite solos it uh, it bothers me it didn't make the list truthfully i think i've never tried to learn that outro solo either and i think the reason why is this josh it's really not a composition it is a moment in time of randy letting the tape run and randy being randy you know what i mean it's like you can't replicate that it's just a feeling and a vibe that is so randy rhodes like
1: Dan said earlier, it fades out, and you always crank up that fucking volume to try to hear every last snippet of it. And, you know, one thing fans have always wanted is the uncut version of that to where you can hear how it ends. And they kind of promised to stay on the 30th anniversary box yeah. set, and it kind of didn't deliver, but it kind of did. If you watch the documentary, the making of the Blizzard of Oz documentary on that 30th anniversary box set, they do play the outro for tonight in its entirety. And literally we're not missing anything. Like when the song fades to where you can't hear it anymore, it literally ended right there. Yeah. <laughs> it was such it was such a an anticlimactic thing. You're like, oh, we're gonna finally hear the ending of this. And then you actually hear it, and it was nothing but them stopping. But, <laughs> they just but,
0: stopped. <laughs> but doesn't that show you the brilliance of the solo? You no,
1: know, oh, like for sure. Ozzy,
0: Bob, and Max and Randy were like, Hey, we want every bit of this solo on the record but we don't want it to f- to end with just a stop and playing. So let's fade yeah. it out to the last m- my moment that we can get on the record. And that's what they did.
1: It shows you, and yeah, maybe w- what we said about Randy was slightly wrong on that. Maybe he wouldn't have re-recorded it. It shows you that at least someone realized how fucking good it was because they could have faded it 45 seconds earlier and no one would have thought any of the difference when it was released. Yeah. We wouldn't have even known, but now we know they did squeeze every last second out of
0: it. Yeah. I think the song he had the biggest contention with was actually little dolls out of all of them. That was the one that I think he was just very unhappy with the solo. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to number one. I now know that Josh and I have the same number one because <laughs> there can only be one right answer here. Cause it is the best solo of all time and folks, it is not crazy train. It, it is, is the outro train. of Mr. Fucking Crowley. The no doubt. greatest solo of all time.
1: <laughs> and, I got a big green on my face. Yeah, right. it's yeah, just, no fucking question. Yeah,
0: it's the greatest. I would have to say if there is a solo that moves me every time I hear it, and it's not just the arpeggios he's doing at the beginning, it's every fucking little thing about it. The trills, double string he does on the fifteenth fret. It is a brilliantly composed solo. God damn, if it's not the greatest solo, not only of Randy, it is the greatest solo. Of all time. And I'm going to state for the record here. Because Mr. Crowley number one was number four on my list. Mr. Crowley is the greatest song ever. For guitar soloing. That is it. There's no argument. That is the argument. Case closed. Mr. Crowley the greatest guitar solo song ever.
1: Ditto. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show
0: today. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) No for real. I mean what can I add to that. Dan is 100% spot on. I mean it's the greatest fucking guitar song of all time. So like you take a guy like Steve Vai. Or Joe Satriani, like Surfer Song, and some of these—they're they're fun to listen to. Everybody likes those. But what song is a classic radio staple forty years later? And it's really all about the guitar solos. What other song is there out there? Name me one more that can claim that. It's about the guitar solos and Oz's opening. Mr.
0: Crowley, well, Ozzy's opening, Mister Crowley. Ozzy's ability is fantastic. Right? I mean, let let's of be course. honest. The of bridge course. is fantastic on Mister Crowley. You know, well, Randy's see, playing and Ozzy's vocal melody there. But the
1: bridge is also part of the outro solo. It kind of Not to blends me. together. Did, to yeah, I does. think it
0: starts on the 17th fret. We've argued it, this for there. years. I, I think know. the
1: slower part, I want to know what you mean. I think that's part of the guitar solo. Dance no, is that's bridge. the bridge. We are, Clearly the bridge. We can argue that all day. To all me, right. that's part of the guitar solo. It don't matter. It's still the greatest mm-hmm. fucking guitar solo of but, all time. Because look at way. how
0: he plays it on tribute. He plays it. Chordal instead of those single notes, like we've talked about. We talked about this last week. Matter of fact, I think that's just Randy's way of making it sound fuller, live
1: versus the triple tracked in studio.
0: Yeah, because it's not the solo; it's it's the chord progression.
1: It's the solo <laughs> it's the opening. It's the opening part of the solo. That is the slower part, and then the solo kicks in and kicks everyone's ass at the end of it. Let us know, fans, what you think. Is that part of the solo or is that the bridge? I say that's solo. Dan says it's a bridge. Either way, it's one of the greatest fucking moments in music history. That that we agree on.
0: From the, was it polemically sent, on, is just untouchable. Absolutely
1: amazing. So fucking good. But there's not a whole lot I can say that you haven't. I mean, it's fucking perfect. It's like one cool moment after another. There's like, there's this part, then this part, then this part. And you try to learn them in those sections when you're a guitar player. You're like, okay, I'm going to learn this part first. And then it goes to this section. You're trying to learn that little section. It's fucking amazing. And again, when you watch him play it on After Hours, it's fucking flawlessly easy for him. Like He's just yeah. looking around, laughing at the guys on the side or sharing, whoever's on the fucking side of the stage there, like, cutting up. And he's just shredding stuff. Like, it's, it's so fucking easy for him, man. It's amazing. Yeah, no question, the top spot. And it's even the one that Zach referenced, you know, when he was pissed off about Dave Grohl being writing for Ozzy on the Down to Earth record, right? And he's like, "Let's see Dave Grohl play Mr. Crowley," (laughs) (laughs) right? right. And even Zach knows, like, that's the fucking one, man. Like, let's fucking see you do, Mr. Crowley. It's so fucking perfect, you know. I do recall an interview with Randy himself one time. It was before Diary came out. He said his favorite song on the album was Mr. Crowley,
0: and it's because his guitar solos are just because he knew he kicked its ass. Yeah, he did. (laughs)
1: No question.
0: It's, It's amazing. I'd have to say this was a fun exercise and listeners let us know what your favorite moments of Randy Rhodes, quiet riot or Ozzy we'll take all of it. But for For me and Josh, this was just another way for us to really show tribute to the greatest guitar player for us that ever walked the face of the earth. And, you know, it breaks my heart. He only lived for 25 years because who knows what would have happened. And we're not going to sit here and talk about if he was going to stay with Ozzy, not Ozzy. We've heard both sides of the argument, but at the end of the day, Is we're here to celebrate the life of the genius of not only as Randy Rhodes as a guitar player, but Randy Rhodes as an individual and a beautiful person.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and a beautiful family. Like we said before, when we had uh, Kathy Rhodes, Regenziro, and Kelly Rhodes on, his family has been such a huge part of all of it. Also, like I say this all the time to people: how many guitar gods out there, not even gods, how many musicians who are in any way famous, you know their fucking mother's name. And you know their right. sister's name and their brother. Like, you just don't have that ever. You, you just don't have that. Even with Ozzy, most people don't know his, his dad's name's Jack, and he named his son Jack. But, like, a lot of people don't realize stuff like that. But yeah, everyone knows Dolores Rhodes, right? Any guitar player knows Dolores Rhodes, and they know Kathy and Kelly at this point. And Kelly's done his own thing with music also. But the whole thing for Randy. It all is just perfect, man. You got this guy who's got such a personality and he's so vibrant and he's such a beautiful soul. He's this badass looking guitar player who plays his big fucking flying V guitars. And he becomes, in my opinion, in Dan's opinion, the greatest guitar player of all time. And he passes away way too soon to leave a legacy to just grow for the next 40 years and counting. And all the while, he's got this family that does everything they can to keep his memory alive, keep his, you know, music alive. And they've done a great job. And I just wanted to throw that out there before we close that, you know, as fans, we do appreciate the Rhodes family for everything they've done. You know, I've been to Musonia. I used to speak to Randy's mom on the phone. She invited me out. Unfortunately, by the time I got to go, she had already passed away. But Kelly took me in and spent about an hour, hour and a half with me. And he was fucking excellent. Talked to me like he'd known me his whole life. Just anything I wanted to know. And then Kathy and Kelly came on our show, and at the time, it was like, what, what was that, Dan, our seventh episode, sixth episode? Yeah, it was episode? really early on. We hadn't established shit yet, and they were still gracious enough to come on to the show and talk about Randy with us for his induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Ultimately, the reason they came on was they knew how passionate Dan and I were about Randy Rhodes and how much he meant to us and how much they mean to us also because we do appreciate everything they do to keep his memory alive. And I think they're even having for the 40th anniversary, they're going to have a jam at the Whiskey A Go-Go for him yeah, this year. To that. so that's fucking amazing.
0: So if you are in California, make sure you go out there, support Randy's Legacy, and support Kelly and Kathy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this episode will drop two days before March the 19th. So we thought this would be the perfect time to get on here. Like we said earlier, we've avoided talking about not completely avoiding talking about randy but we didn't want the topics to be heavy on blizzard of Oz* and diary of a madman because that's what everyone expects and we try to do stuff different but with this 40th anniversary of randy's passing we thought now was the time to really discuss randy rose and what he meant to us and uh, what we're sure what he means to all of you all so we appreciate you listening to it but be sure to let us know on social media your top 10 randy rose guitar solos and what randy meant to you i, I know he's touched all of you guys
0: yeah great topic today let us know what you guys think Let's continue to keep Randy's legacy alive forever. And I'm just so elated that he did make it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Let's take it home.
1: But anyways, guys, until next time, we will see you on the other side.
0: But then when we go, I get right into the fucker.
1: When we go, you get right in there. Yeah, that's
0: right. Right the fuck in there. Casarion is a little hard. But other than that, it's, it's all yeah. right. Yeah.
1: I call it kerosene. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <All right. laughs> okay. Kerosene so song.
1: Good. You know, at first and on there. Is it metal? It's
0: metal.
1: Listen, if Ozzy said, I'm going to release the new song next week called So This Is Goodbye, I mean, you'd be like jacking off.
0: Oh, it's going to yeah, be a ballad. Exactly.